400th episode of the Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me on this occasion, both momentous and, well, dubious. Well, her first appearance on this podcast, you gotta go all the way back to mid-September of 2018, when she joined Dan and I on podcast episode number 219 to talk about, and how appropriate is this, something stupid the seventh episode of the fourth season of Better Call Saul. Yeah, it's the mistress of Missouri. It's Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Hey, happy 400th. Yay! I need to Kermit the Frog from the Muppet Show thing here. <laughs> and of course, along with Jamie, a dude I see that we used to refer to as the super sub when he first had a chain of appearances on the podcast when my usual co-host was unavailable at the time. So we got to go back to late May of 2018, where he made his first appearance on podcast episode number 209, 209 for, for people who actually say numbers the correct way. He and I had discussed a couple of episodes of Legion and Americans. The very next episode is when we discussed the Americans f- series finale, in fact. Of course, I'm talking about our king from Kentucky. It's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey guys, it's super cool to be here. And, uh, you know, I like to think I'm Luke Eric to Dan's Wally Pip. So, uh, <laughs> uh do, do you remember how many times he was making comments about you pre- pretty much pushing him out? And yeah. it's like, he's kind of joking, but he's kind of not. <laughs> can't push somebody that's jumping. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it depends if it's on a ledge or not. But So, yeah, this is our 400th podcast, and maybe you'll forgive my indulgences as I might take a few steps down memory lane here and there this evening. I mean, as I was saying before we started recording, I actually listened to the very first 15 minutes of our very first podcast back in April of 2014, and I don't know which comes through stronger – how excited we were to actually do a podcast or how truly awful the audio was. I mean, it was like a really bad Beatles mono recording because I was in one ear and Dan was in the other. And look, audio issues have plagued this podcast for a very long time. A lot of that was my fault over the years because I notoriously had the cheapest, rinky-dinkiest microphone conceivable. But eventually, I did get a real deal mic, and then I I also took over the post-production work. So I'll say the first major improvements really manifested over the summer of 2020, and I've been trying to make upgrades ever since. Um, And I think, especially as of lately, I think we finally got it right. (laughs) So it only took almost 400 episodes. You know, I mean, look, we don't all have the same setup, you know, and I know folks in other places like you guys you can be plagued by Internet connections and equipment, whatever. So we're never going to get the holy grail of podcasts where we all sound like we're in the very same room together. Um, but then again, we've never all been in the very same room together. So that would be something. Um, but hopefully at one point we'll get there. But you know what? We still got to 400. So that's something, you know. Well, I've been pod curious and that I've been with both of you in a room. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, 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 we've enjoyed this and, uh, 
the the quality I think has went up of the the audio, and we've tried to stick to pretty quality shows. So I'm uh, um, and looking forward to what we have to put on the table tonight because I know Scott, we went back and forth. We all put a lot of work into this and thought. Uh, for the listeners, we want to give you our best. You might disagree with us, but you can't fault our hustle because all of us have worked uh, to put these lists together, and hopefully you enjoy the show. Yeah, You had joked with me recently about, especially when we do a podcast of this nature, how it's like I'm assigning homework. So if if what I do normally to you guys is assigning homework, this was like, you know, getting ready for the finals, you know, for the degree. You know, and, our, and the professor's like Sam Kinison across the room screaming at us at the same time or something. <laughs> and it was just Providence that it just, it worked out that our best of 2023 podcast was also going to turn out to be our 400th podcast, um, which is great because I didn't want it to be like, well, this episode of Fargo better be really, really good <laughs> It's going to be episode 400. I mean, they've been good lately, but I don't know if they're 400 good. But yeah, this is going to be our best of 2023 podcast. And unlike some previous years, I have no intention or plans to split the sucker in two. So listeners, buckle up, make room on your calendars for multiple days of listening. It's a pretty good bet. This is going to be a long one. David got just probably, you know, just creamed in his jeans when he heard that. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to be presenting three different countdown style lists tonight, all of which will be delivered round robin style. So no one person, me, has a ridiculously long stretch of talking like the one I'm on right now. Um, Each list will likely be prefaced by... Uh, any honorable mentions that we'd like to squeeze in there, which are also known as, you know, the picks that just missed our list. So I believe the plan is we're going to kick things off with the first half of our respective top 20 TV series of the year. And after that, when we've all gotten through to our number 11 picks, we're going to table the list for a while, put it on the stove, let it bubble, let it boil, let it simmer. And we have two other top 10 lists to rip through. What are they? Well, you know what? We'll tell you when we get there. So, like I said, honorable mentions, and we'll get, break into our lists. And with no more further ado, Jamie, ladies first, I'm going to allow you to step allow. No, not allow. That's that's not it's <laughs> 2023. What's wrong with me? <laughs> bad, 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 Scott, get with bad, the time. Bad. Anyway, step up to the plate. Take the first swing. All right. So I'm going to lay out my honorable mentions. Um, You're going to be surprised with some of them that are on here that I think they normally make my top 20 list. But here we go. We've got What We Do in the Shadows, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, The Crowded Room, 1923, Murder at the End of the World, School Spirits, Ted Lasso, Season 3, (laughs) The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Upload, Season 3. We go into my 20 list. My number 20, the first one we're going to talk about is Only Murders in the Building, uh, a show that we all know and love. We've got Paul Rudd this season with Meryl Streep. Great songs, great fun, lots of twists and turns, uh, as we all wonder which of the Pickwick triplets did it. Hmm. Great, great. So uh, I'll start with my honorable mentions. Uh, My first is The Curse. With Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone, um, series finale I think is next week. But uh, what I've seen, uh, 
I've liked it. I don't like that it's more scripted, um, but it, it's it's an interesting, awkward watch. Uh, Wheel of Time from Amazon, a big step up in quality uh, and enjoyable fantasy storytelling on Amazon. Uh, in, enjoyed that. Uh, and a beautiful, beautiful, uh, another animated show, uh, Scavenger's Reign on HBO. If you haven't checked that out and you like beautiful visuals, uh, that's a good that's a good one. And my last honorable mention is Loki. I thought Loki had some really cool stuff in it this season, but overall the season was a little uneven. And um, Jonathan Major's presence was a little uh, uh, off-putting. He did a fine job, but knowing what was hanging over that production, I think, affected the overall viewing experience. But I'll go to my number 20, and I debated making this higher. It's the FX show Dave. And if you have never watched Dave, um, this season had some of the most heavyweight uh, cameos in it. Um, it's It's an uneven show in that you can really not like Dave Bird's personality. Um, He's kind of a neurotic, but some of the supporting characters, the stories they told, some of the crazy scenarios that were involved this season that we'll talk about later on this podcast um, will come into play. But some incredible cameos, Killer Mike, uh, Rick Ross, Jack Harlow, an amazing cameo by Don Cheadle, where he plays totally... Um, out of type uh, and I won't spoil it if you haven't watched it but um, and uh, a cameo I'm not going to tell you about because it's one of my things I'll talk about later but um, and a cameo by Drake Uh, so a a really really interesting uh, season that follows his character on tour most of the season and most of the episodes are named after where they stop on the tour so uh, enjoyed uh, season uh, this season of Dave. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm I'm still reeling from um, Jamie's list of honorable mentions. Uh, for the few there that kind of oh, it made I me shock me. I mean, there, there are I things, told you it would. I, I wasn't lying. Wow. There are things that I will have on my list that she relegated to the the trash heap over there. So I'm, I'm shocked, shocked, shocked that to find gambling is going on here. Okay, so my honorable mentions. Uh, just have a few. I'll go through them right now. Oh, by the way, I like that you mentioned um, trying to remain spoiler-free. Uh, and I'll probably – I forgot to mention at the top of the podcast, so maybe I will put it in the, the description at one point. Generally speaking, I'm going to try to stay mostly spoiler-free or mild spoilers. You know, I, I know that sometimes it's going to be imp- almost impossible to avoid – that especially when we get to talking about specific episodes at one uh, when we're talking about certain shows but whenever possible i'm going to try to uh, be spoiler free in my discussions here and watch in you know two minutes from now i'm going to fucking spoil the hell out of something (laughs) all right so first my honorable mentions uh first i'll start off with mrs davis Peacock show from uh, Damon Lindelof that reminded me, oh, wait, he can write for TV. Um, just for the sheer beautiful insanity of it all. <laughs> uh, justified City Primeval for those final 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Monk's Last Case, 
just because Monk was back, even if it was a somewhat underwhelming case overall, I was still so happy to see one of my favorite TV characters back, and I'm looking forward. They left every indication that they will come back and do more, and hopefully that means um, somewhat better stories, but uh, I was so happy to see him back. Um, the third season of Happy Valley, and this is a tough one to leave off my list, but let's face it, I... I really just like seeing it all presumably wrapped up because it's been several years in between seasons for that show. And my last honorable mention, which I'm probably going to speak a lot about here because this was originally in my top 20 and I can't believe I'm knocking it out, but I have to do it. It's kind of shocking that I'm leaving Barry out of my top 20 this season. Um, Let's face it, it was actually number 19, and then I remembered one more series, and then I rejiggered the order, and then the next thing you know, Barry got knocked out. But look, the previous season of the show, that showed up at number seven on my best of 2022 list. And, you know, this time around, we actually covered the entire season on the podcast, uh, which kind of goes to show you, just because we do a show on the podcast doesn't mean it's going to make our list. I just mentioned Justified for City Primeval, same deal, you know? Yeah, plus, I'm looking at you, Perry Mason. Uh, but but if we're being honest, really honest, did I enjoy this season of as Barry as much as the previous three? No, I did not. Much of this season, I feel it was more likely admiration than adoration. Um, yes, so for a lot of the audacious decisions that Bill Hader made for the trajectory of both the show, the story, the characters, you know, there are several moments of undeniable greatness. But I don't know that I felt quite the feeling of satisfaction with how that series ended compared to a few other series that ended their run in 2023. And some of those series did make the cut for the top 20, but I had to leave Barry off. All right, now let me get into my top 20 with number 20. Wow, I can't believe this made it. Number 20 for me will be the second season of The Gilded Age. Now look, there's a handful of shows that made my list via a late-year binge, be it back in the late summer or even in the final days of the year. This first one, this was a series that filled a void in my overall TV viewing experience. You know, we watch tense dramas and clever and silly comedies, or shows that are built as comedies, but, you know, are more likely to make you cry than laugh, quite frankly. You know, you got your genre shows, sci-fi shows, political dramas, all that kind of stuff, true crime, whatever. But you need a show that's built on manners and aristocracy of a bygone era. The Crown just hasn't been top 20 level of excellence since its fourth season. And unlike one of my co-hosts here, if not two, I've never actually gotten around to seeing The Great, which although I know it's 18th century Russia, might have fulfilled that need for me, that craving. Because I kept thinking, I need a little Downton Abbey style action here. You know, a show I could relax, admire the clever quips, the outfits, the attention to painstaking, recreating detail and the melodrama with the snobbish elite and the servants downstairs. And I found that with the series that Julian Fellows had nimbly followed up Downton Abbey with, The Gilded Age, it's all there. It's Downton Abbey minus the need to put the subtitles on, you know. It's not perfect. But it's been a delight nonetheless, no one more so than Christine Baranski, whose Aunt Agnes hoards more vicious killer lines per episode than Maggie Smith's Aunt Violet would do in an entire season of Downton Abbey. I tore through season one in two days. I did the same with season two, which was slightly weaker, but still infinitely watchable. And as a result, it just eats its way onto my list at number 20. Um, have some other notes here. I don't think they're that important for me to go through. I'd rather get to Jamie and her number 19 selection. 
Okay. Well, I'm still in a a fury of dizziness after those comments about uh, Barry and then Scott picking the Gilded Age over Barry. Um, never saw that coming. That's why these are always like my favorite podcasts of the year. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it, it comes down. It comes. It, it comes down to at the at the end of the day. That's gonna be the first time I used the phrase, and not the last tonight. And I can see this. It's like which which left me with a better feeling. Which did I feel more satisfied after I finished watching? I'm sorry. Some some sometimes satisfaction triumphs over artistry, and that's by the way, that's not the first time I'm going to make that comment tonight. It's not the first time I'm going to make a crack at Barry tonight. I'm preparing to make another crack about Barry. A little, you know, probably in the next fifteen minutes. Buckle up, kitties. It's going to happen again. All right. I'm sorry, Jamie. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. Number I fully respect that because I had to make some steep calls on my list uh, this year myself. So when I had it all written out, I actually kind of surprised myself on a great number of them. But uh, this one was no surprise. I knew it was going to be on my list from the very first episode of this last season of Righteous Gemstones. Uh, see, evangelical superstars are back, uh, but this time there's game shows and crazy ex-felons played by Steve Zahn. Uh, this show is always one I look forward to. Uh, it's over the top. It's stupid. It's silly. It's crude, uh, but it's somehow very heartfelt. Uh, Danny McBride is his own force, but the supporting characters on the show are never really short of being absurdly entertaining. Uh, season three, it's all the best marks that the show has to offer. Well, my 19 is going to be Breeders, an FX show that ended this year. Um and had a couple of amazing reflections on what it means to be 50 years old, what it means to have aging parents, um, some interesting conversations about what to do with aging parents that wander off and get lost, um, how to raise children. Uh, it was a, it was a quite a journey and, uh, it wasn't, as good as some seasons in the past, but I thought ended the story and gave the family a, a nice ending and a nice journey. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And it's a little show that's fallen, flown under the radar, um, but, but really enjoyed this season of breeder. So that's going to be my 19th. I strongly suspected one or both of you were going to bring that show up. So I was just waiting for it. You just beat her to it. I suspect. Um, and hopefully she will figure out whatever is making weird noises on her side. I mean, I know Dan's not here. It's been you know solved. Have... Sorry. I had a falling computer. I saved the day. We're in the clear. It's no worries. I'm just like, oh, wow. It's like the old days where there's these weird, unidentifiable sounds on the podcast. All you need to do now is start having like post-nasal drip and it'll be like 2015 all over again. <laughs> that gravity is a real bitch, Scott. <laughs> Trust me. At my age, I'm very well aware of that. All right, so my number 19. Uh, my number 19. It's Kaleidoscope. Remember when everyone was watching this and all the different orders you could view it in, like something out of one of those Choose Your Adventure books? I think many, most even, forgot to pop it on their best 2023 list because they forgot. It was released on January 1st, 2023. And so when Cricket's crickets wow critics got their screeners to cover that season they all watched it you know 
early December. We all binged the hell out of that series the first day or two. So I think it probably got forgotten by a lot of people. And they're forgetting that it was probably the most addictive watch of the entire year. How many shows did people rewatch just to change the order to see if they would have a different sentiment or a different perspective on the overall series? That all worked for me. I actually did some of that. You know, I, I love the inventiveness of, of what they tried to do here. Did it work perfectly? Maybe not perfectly, but pretty damn well. Plus, I love a great heist story. I love heists. So shame on so many other people out there for forgetting this series. Shame, shame, shame. And speaking of shame, what rhymes with shame? Jame, as in Jamie. What's your number 18? <laughs> All right. My number 18 is Poker Face Season 1. Um, it's Natasha Leone. Uh, you know, her playing herself, basically. Uh, but she's doing tradition of Jessica Fletcher, uh, meaning that there's virtually nowhere she can go, that there's not a murder to solve. Uh, it's quick wit, built-in lie detector, and she's outrunning the Vegas casino boss. Um, it's just a really easy watch and super entertaining, and uh, I binged it pretty quickly. Well, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball here. Uh, you guys like reality shows and you know, I'm not a reality show guy. Um, I don't really watch a lot of different reality stuff, but boy, did I like squid game, the challenge. Um, yes. Like I, I was addicted to it. Quentin walked in, uh, my son and sat down and he got sucked into it. Um, it was really, really fun. They developed some characters that you rooted for and some you didn't root for. Um, and use the, it, I mean, it was a super fun watch. Um, and as somebody who's not a reality show person, uh, I got sucked in and really, really enjoyed it. And if we're going by the did this satisfy me, Scott? It was very satisfying, and I liked it. Yes. So that's my eighteenth number eighteen show. Wow, um, I can't remember if I've ever had one of these where I was. I didn't know. I don't know which person's number eighteen shocked me more. So I guess I'll join the crowd of. Okay, we didn't see that one coming with with our number eighteen selection. This is going to be especially funny considering what we were talking about before we started recording tonight. My number eighteen selection. <laughs> it's the sixteenth season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Now, look. Uh, speaking of curveballs, I know that one might seem a little bit out of left field for me, but let me explain. You know, beyond hey. Barry, which could have, which could have moments of sheer comic absurdity, but it was really more of a twisted drama this past season than anything else. And then we're going to have a handful of shows which are going to pop up throughout the course of this podcast, which fall under the heading of comedy, but seldom are all that funny. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia was one of only a couple, very few shows that was a truly laugh-out-loud experience this past year. And the bigger shocker for me is, hey, as much as I really liked what we do in the shadows, I have gone on and on year after year how much I love that show. 
it did not make my top 20, and Sonny did, because overall, for the uh, for an overall season, Sonny in Philadelphia was funnier. I, it just was. And I'm going to say the same thing about another show that I'm a big fan of and has already shown up on somebody's list here tonight. Only Murders in the Building, Season 3. Sorry, even with the additions of Meryl and Paul. I liked it. I liked it just fine. I enjoyed it. Did it impress me as much as any show in my top 20 or made me laugh remotely as much as Always Sunny? Nah, I can't say that either. It's also a little predictable. So sometimes you got to give it up to a veteran show like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And how much credit we got to give it to a show... 16 seasons, over 170 episodes. They can still bring the funny really hard. They had a season that was jam-packed with the same ludicrous brilliance you could find in almost any previous season. Um, I really loved it. So, uh, And I know uh, an absent co-host would agree. <laughs> so, yeah, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia made number 18 on my list. All right. Uh, I'm going to get into 17. My number 17 is Hunters season two and final season. Uh, The Hunters band back together to hunt down. uh, Surprise, spoiler alert. Adolf Hitler is living in South America, alive and well. So they're going to hunt him down, try to bring him to justice. I was not sure how this season was going to go after, um, let's say, a really iffy finale on season one. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But... I couldn't figure out how they were going to push into season two, but they found a way. Um, It was great. I just, from start to finish, I loved this season. I thought it was a little bit darker than season one with a few exceptions. Uh, Better storytelling, uh, but the finale was really, really exceptional, which I was glad for. And um, I was really rooting for this show to fill in its boots, and I think it did. I think it did really well. Uh, My number 17. Uh, and I'm sure I will be excoriated for this, is uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, I liked this season, but I didn't love it. I thought there was there was a couple of episodes that were really, really, really good. Um, but there were some episodes that I thought were just okay. Um, and I wonder if there was a plan to maybe have a fourth season and um, you know, some of the storylines were messed up. Um, or I'm sorry, fifth season, my bad. Um, but I wonder if like that continuity issue maybe affected the overall quality that they kind of had to rush towards the end of it. But um I liked the uh I liked the resolution of her manager. I thought that episode was really, really good. Um, and enjoyed it. But for me, it sits at number 17 on my list. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, wait till a little later. <laughs> Apparently, I'm going to surprise people more than you thought. But my number 17, something I heard someone mention as an honorable mention, which made me kind of go, what? My number 17 is a murder at the end of the world. It was my final binge at the end of 2023. 
I loved the variance of environment. I noticed it was shot both in Utah and Iceland, so it could toggle between the, the borderline pretentious artiness and then good old-fashioned crackling Agatha, Agatha Christie style Who Done It and Who's Next. It's a mostly solid cast. I'll admit I was a bit concerned when I realized that one of the stars was also the co-creator and co-head writer, Britt Marling, because she was in a similar position way back when as the star of the OA a series I felt had nine stellar episodes and one horrible finale that was so infuriating I refused to watch the second season of that show. But this finale was considerably better than that one, even if it felt a little too pat and maybe a little bit too obvious in some ways. But as can be the case with a few TV series over the years, <coughs> lost. Um, sometimes it's more about the journey than the final destination, and that's why this show lands at number 17 on my list. All right. Number 16 on my list is The Big Door Prize, season one. Um, at first glance, I I was so curious when I started seeing the previews for this show come up because the concept was just something so new and different. Um, it's There's a small town called Deerfield and a mysterious machine shows up at the local hardware shop. Um, it promises to reveal each person's true potential. Like it prints out a card and tells you what your true potential in life is supposed to be. Uh, so obviously people kind of do what you think they would do. They start changing everything in their lives, dropping careers, relationships. Um, stars Chris O'Dowd, uh, you know, it's intriguing. It's thought provoking. It's kind of like the leftovers light. Like it doesn't take itself as seriously. Um, I am so excited for season two. It's just, I don't know. It's a refreshing new way for my brain to twist around. And it's, it's a really great watch. My number 16. Uh, and I found myself surprised. I put it this high, but is only murders in the building. And the, the strange thing is it's not because of Meryl Streep. Um, I, I thought she, her character was fine, but I think the comedy of the musical, um, to me was was funny and i thought martin short and steve martin both really got good set pieces in in this iteration of the play centering it around the play sort of taking the show out of the apartment building and going somewhere else so uh i i enjoyed it i i agree it probably wasn't as good as past iterations but i enjoyed it and i particularly liked i can't say how Jamie says it, you know, which of the Ipswich, whatever. <laughs> if I say that, it'll, I'll probably get canceled and say something terrible. Uh, but the song, when Steve Martin is trying to learn the song and goes to the White Room and stuff, I, I thought there were some really great moments in this season. So I have it at 16 on my list. Hey, uh, I don't begrudge you the view for putting it on your list. It's not like I don't. I'm not a big fan of the show. I just, I just didn't like it as much as the first two seasons. I felt there was a drop off, but I loved everything you you cited there. I think Short did a great job this season, and I did love the white room stuff with Steve. Um, I think it was a combination of I found the Steve Martin Andrea Martin storyline just really unappealing for the entire season, and unlike the first two seasons, I thought um, Selena Gomez felt felt kind of wasted this season. I, I just I, I thought her character just didn't wasn't i just didn't enjoy her character as much as i did the, the first two seasons and i think those 
those factors combined for me to leave it off my list. But I, I it, wish it's not a bad missed. selection for either one of you. I'm not knocking you for that. So I wish they wouldn't have split her off with the investigator, the other guy. Yeah, so much. and it made those scenes kind of drop off for me. I just lost yeah. as much interest because I love her chemistry with the other two. It's so much fun. Yep, me too. Okay, so my number 16, oh boy. My number 16 was the seventh season of, and final season of Billions. Now, back in, I want to say, I think it was early September, I finally decided to give Billions a shot. I just learned the series was actually still on. I thought it, I thought it had finished already. <laughs> um, in, in fact, it had just kicked off its final season a few weeks earlier. People have been telling me to watch the show for years, and I was like, eh, I'll get to it, whatever. But over the next two weeks, I tore through 78 episodes, and I caught up with the current airing of the series when it got to its, like, its seventh of the season. And having gone through such a major binge, it was really hard to then watch one per week, especially those final five episodes, which turned out to coincidentally be the best five episodes of the season. Um, look, maybe the series is not quite in the pantheon of other high-caliber dramas dealing with the ultra-rich. We all know what I'm talking about. But man... This series could be as entertaining as anything I've watched over the past several years. Look, you get Paul Giamatti to star in your movie or your series, you're already starting with a pretty high bar. And seeing Damian Lewis actually have fun in a role was a really nice change of pace, you know, because that's not what I'm used to from Damian Lewis. And finally, I've had a mini crush on Maggie Siff since before Sons of Anarchy. Go back to the first episode of Meb, and quite frankly. So... From the number of movie references per episode to some really amazing needle drops, especially in its final season. Look, it was a rollicking ride that probably stalled more than a bit in its last couple of seasons, but it came roaring back to life in this final run here. And I would say it's final ultimately and then incredibly satisfying. That's going to be the word of the podcast today, kids. Satisfying season. And that's, you know, Barry, see, if you compromised your artistry just a wee bit, maybe you would have made my top 20 instead of this supposedly lower-tiered series. Good season, great ending. It comes in at Sweet 16 for me. Let's go to 15 and Jamie. Okay. All right. My 15 is a spinoff of the boys named Gen V. Um, it's like the best a spinoff could be. Honestly, I was, I, I don't know. Every single episode was a lot of fun. It was based on the boys story, story arc that we got to go now. Um, it's a group of college kids filled with compound you and they're entering the world of the seven picking sides, finding out secrets, learning how dark the world is that they're about to walk into. Um, starting with the secret labs that are in the basement of God, you it's bloody, it's gutty, it's gory. It's funny. Uh, the baby boys show is fantastic fun. Well, uh, Jamie, that's my 15 is Gen V. Um, and, and, uh, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I thought it was a lot of fun. There was menace. There was drama. There was guts. There were exploding appendages uh, of all sorts. Um, it was a, yes. It's a bloody good time and enjoyed it. So uh, I look forward to seeing what they do with that. And even more importantly, I'm curious what it will do to the canon of the boys. So um, 
so we'll see where it goes. But that that's my 15 as well. Wow, 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 wow. I did not anticipate when this podcast started that I was going to be the one who's going to show so much more love for Gen V than the two of you. So you're going to have to wait for that. Who th- who saw that one coming, kids? Wow. It's a night of surprise. I know. I'm sure. I mean, you, you, so far in this podcast, and we'll wait till the end, you have dropped the, most, the biggest shocker of the podcast so far. We're not telling you what it is, but you should know what it is. I'll wait till later. Plus, you also remind me, I totally forgot about the second season of Hunters. January show, another Jan. I totally forgot. I wonder if that would have made my list because I really liked the second season. But great choice there when you mentioned that before. But my number 15. My number 15 is going to be White House Plumbers. Two of the guys who wrote for Veep and Larry Sanders show take an Adam McKay-esque leap to retell the story of G. Gordon Liddy, E. Howard Hunt, and the Watergate bungling burglars. Um, Harrelson and Thoreau are about as much fun to watch as Harrelson's previous HBO duet with Matthew McConaughey. Um, look, this series was way more fun than it had any right to be. And there were even sizable details, you know, actual, you know, historical facts I personally was unaware of and I was even shocked by. And, you know, throws Lydia... Oh, my Lord. Anyway, White House Plumbers, number 15 for me. Let's move on the list. Jamais. Okay, I am coming in at number 14 with The Last of Us. Um, I think it's a worthy adaptation. I've enjoyed the story. Uh, It's definitely not as scary as the game, but that has more to do with the nature of the media than the storytelling. Um, There's definitely a few standout episodes, which I would bet we talk about later. Uh, It's entertaining, a worthy start to the series. I really love the opening credit sequence. That's beautiful. Um, The mushroom zombies uh, are a worthy, worthy show. Um, yeah, I think we will talk about that later. Um, my number 14 is, um, welcome to Wrexham, the documentary about the Wrexham football team produced by, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia's Rob McElhenney and, uh, Ryan Reynolds. And this season, uh, they broadened the show to talk to more of the townspeople and tell the story of the town, um, there was an episode that reminded me of when the crown was awesome, uh, that there had been a mine disaster in the town and, uh, you know, showed community involvement and uh, their engagement with uh, autistic children and autistic people, try to broaden the appeal uh, and seeing these two people go into a community, raise up the women's football team to get them a, a nice place to play. Um, it was a story that involves sports, not a sports story. And uh, the shift, uh, the broadening the impact of it. I, I mean, it. I really look forward to it every week. And it was like maybe the feel good story of the year. Uh, for me, and it, it, but it, but it was real. It wasn't saccharine. It was real. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was wonderful. So uh, uh, welcome to Rexham is my fourteen. Excellent. You know, I'm really happy that I, I decided the order would be Jamie Brian me because if I kept following Jamie, I, I, I there would be like lengthy pause because I'm, I'm I'm being shocked by the placement of everything on Jamie's list tonight. I can't wait to hear your top ten, man. So my number fourteen, 
my number 14 is going to be the third season of Slow Horses. Um, this latest season just finished up before the year ended. Um, the fact that it didn't rank as high as the previous season, uh, two seasons actually did, because both seasons one and two were both released in 2022. They combined to make number nine on my list last year. I just want to make it clear, that is not a reflection of any drop-off in the quality of the show. In fact, I would even say the comparative simplicity of the overall storyline this season, it might have made it even possible to rank even higher. It's just more about the quality of the competition um, of all the series I went through this year. Also, um, for most of the season, all of which takes place over just a couple days, um, the slow horses are broken up and rarely are there more than two together in any arc or misadventure. So if there was any negative about the show, that might have been it. But still, it's streamlined and not so slick fun. Oldman, once again, is outstanding as he figuratively and literally lets it all hang out. And yet another great performance is Jackson Lamb. He's easily the most slovenly and cynical spy ever ever. So number 14, Slow Horses, season three. And they actually had an ad for season four at the end, which I was like, wait, who does that? Amazing. Um, is it going to be on now? No, it'll be on soon. <laughs> okay, guys. So my number 13 choice is going to come with mixed reviews from the audience, I'm pretty sure, uh, because the series did as a whole. But my number 13 is Picard final season. Um, I know that the second season was uh, a, sort of a dumpster fire, but I am not a Star Trek purist. Um, I'm not. I love the show, uh, but I'm not a purist. But I really loved this season. I liked having the whole crew of the USS Enterprise back together. That brought me joy. Uh, Ed Spielers as Jack Crusher. I loved him, even if Dan says he has cold, dead eyes. <laughs> um, and watching Seven become the entire Captain Annika that she was uh, meant to be made me cry. I'm sorry. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I cried about it. I was so damn happy with that finale. So uh, haters out there, suck it. It was a great show. Loved it. You know, I had no idea the emotional roller coaster that the uh, reveal of these series would be. It's it's really interesting that uh, I, I just threw so many things across the room and I'm trying to <laughs> and, and I want to. I'm going to show you guys something. I know this is a, not a visual podcast, unfortunately. So it's just, this is, the description will have to be entertainment enough for you guys. So uh, this little, see this little tab of paper <laughs> and all these little notes? These are all my reactions just to Jamie's election. <laughs> <laughs> you better get a bigger piece of paper. And I'm going to be like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, I'm just, yeah. I'm just you need like, a bigger piece of paper. You need a whole box of crayons, like the 68 count, buddy. Moraine Picard, WTF. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, we're going to do, you know, you, you, I think I know what Podcast 401 is going to be about. <laughs> All right, Brian. It's, I didn't mean to okay. step on your stage there. No, it's fine. My my number 13 is the Apple Plus TV show Silo. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought the sets looked really cool. Um, the story, the way it had sort of a first episode set up that shifts completely uh, to a new character, uh, but had really good performances, a menacing performance from Common, 
Uh, and Tim Robbins, you know, has a pretty big role in it. Um, and the the question, I mean, it's sort of like the reverse lost. It's like what's outside the hatch, you know? Um, so I, I really enjoyed the conceit of it, sort of seeing how would a world work if people were underground. Um, and I found it, I found it a stimulating uh, show. I thought the art direction in it was really good and enjoyed it greatly. So uh, my 13 is going to be Silo. Excellent. I've I've yet to see it, but I'd like to because I really like, um, generally, I really like the actress who is the main person in that one. Uh, Was it Rebecca Ferguson? Rebecca Ferguson, yeah. She's she's the lead. Okay, my number 13. This is really funny now. Uh, I think I might have alluded to it earlier. Um, Like many things I didn't anticipate with this podcast, who would have thought a show that I was more negative about for the last few years would show up higher on my list than than one person. The other person just relegated it to her honorable mention list of all things. And we did a goddamn podcast about it once upon a time. Number 13 for me, believe it or not, people, I rediscovered my Jewish roots, apparently. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season five, number 13. Look, I've had a lot of issues with Mrs. Maisel after its smash debut back in 2017. Every season that came after, I was bothered by how much I thought Tony Shalhoub felt wasted, how Midge seemed to have an unearned sense of entitlement, how some characters would make me cringe more than they made me smile. But this season, built on the mostly excellent final episode of season four, gave many characters their best moments to shine on the series. None more so than Abe's monologue at that restaurant in the next to last episode. Easily Shalhoub's best scene in the entire series. Then you had moments like, not just moments, entire episodes, like the Friars Club episode. So good. Or the or a truly excellent finale. And I'll admit, I was surprised that they were able to stick the landing as well as they did. The show took a big chance toggling back and forth in time this season i think it worked more often than it didn't which is some which is good enough for me quite frankly and how they dealt with the heartbreak of the reality of what happened to lenny bruce which was something that i was on the edge of my seat about for for the last few seasons how are they going to deal with that i think it deserves a hell of a lot of praise i think they really handled it as subtly and as beautifully as i could have imagined in my opinion, season five is the best season of Ms. Maisel since the first season, and that's why it's number 13 on my list. All right. That's that's fair. It, it was a great show. My list was tight, so she didn't make it into my 20, but I can't argue with it. It was, it was a great, great season. Okay. Number 12. Um, I'd be surprised if you guys don't have this on your list somewhere, but number 12 is Shrinking. Um, just to set up, Jason Segal, Jessica Williams, Harrison Ford run a private therapy practice, and that's really all you should need to know to immediately be interested in the show. Um, it's great. It touches in a lot about grief and what you do with your personal ethical decisions uh, involving grief, how those around you um, <laughs> have to rein you in when you are going off of the ledge, especially when you're the person that's supposed to bring people back in. Um, it's it's a lot of laughs. It's really funny. It's really touching. It could have been very heavy, um, but it had a knack of being really hopeful, uplifting, and 
every episode is basically a positive experience, not a bad apple in the cast. Uh, my diagnosis, cathartic comedy. <laughs> oh, look at you. Ooh, ooh. She's so weird. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you're growing. You're not shrinking. Um, my number 12 is... <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah, that's what she said. Michael Scott. Um, my number 12, and I know you guys aren't as high on it, but my number 12 was what we do in the shadows. And this season, I really... Colin Robinson is back, baby. Um, and, I mean, an all-time set piece in, like, the board of uh, energy vampires when... You know, he goes to that basement with the file cabinets. The story of Guillermo finally getting what he wants, uh, hiding that from Nandor. Um, and I thought, like, probably one of the most heartbreaking episodes was the one where uh, Laszlo is trying to cure him and test using his blood and makes those little creatures. Oh, um, and, and they're nightmares, but, like, you know, they're kind of pitiful. And, you know, they have to get rid of them because they're going to be killed. If not, I thought it was a really uh, touching, good season that this, you know, thinking of uh, Guillermo with his family, you know, you think about what he is. He's from a family of vampire hunters and he goes to Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner or whatever. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed this season. And I think having Colin Robinson back in adult form uh, was very, very vital to this season being better. And uh, so I, I really enjoyed it. So that's my number 12. Um, Nothing wrong with putting it on your list. I, I, you know, I just decided not to uh, look, I'll be showing it some love later on in the podcast. So I'll, I'll, I'll maintain my, what we do in the shadow credentials. Um, Something Jamie said, I had a, I had a reaction to, and I don't remember what the hell it was. Now I can't. <laughs> Jamie, what was it you were talking about? What did you just talk about? What was your. Literally anything. <laughs> just pick any sentence of the. I next. can't remember. God damn it. Oh, shrinking. That was it. Um, I'm so angry because I think I would have, uh, someone from that show would have made uh, a different list that we're going to get into later. And I. F- I don't know if I forgot or I just didn't. You know what? Who cares? I can add him. I can, I can add him as an honorable mention before we get to it. Thanks, thanks, honorable mentions. All right, my number twelve. My number twelve is, and there's a lot of shows with this title, so you gotta you gotta find the right one if you're looking for it. Number twelve is The Diplomat. What if we took the West Wing's razor sharp dialogue and that careful balance of you know clever quips and dramatic dialogue, that kind of thing. And then you took a certain level of political intrigue as well from that. But instead of spreading it across a massive ensemble of characters and intertwining storylines, it just got all compressed with like laser-like focus just into the main character. And that's what you have with the series The Diplomat. It's the most Sorkin show that's not actually Sorkin which quite frankly is fine by me because I find some of Sorkin's excesses in his later work to be far less enjoyable than his earlier work. It thus makes it amusing to note that the creator of the series, Deborah Kahn, 
She actually wrote over 30 of the West Wing episodes in its last two seasons, which were a few years after Sorkin left that show. Now look, back to, back to uh, the diplomat, Carrie Russell. She's a dynamo of weary snark and being the smartest person in the room in a role that's so far removed from her work on the Americans. Um, maybe now we can finally start to appreciate just how great an actress and a star she really is. And also having gotten really used to the hangdog look and somber line readings from Rufus Sewell, in shows like The Man on the High Ca- in the High Castle, it was really nice to see him loosened up a little. I mean, he was villainous on the kaleidoscope, but here he shows up with a twinkle in his eye. He's clicking with really great chemistry with Russell, and he's just really an amusing character overall. It's been a great year for him. But this show, by far, an unexpected but one of the most entertaining new series of the year for me. Number 12, The Diplomat. Okay. So for my number 11, first of all, I have to put my hand up so that I can't, I, I don't have to make eye contact with Scott. Because um, <laughs> this is where we're going to separate our paths. <laughs> my number 11 is a final season of Barry. Um, first of all, I was late to this show. Uh, I binged them pretty much back to back to back off of your guys' suggestion that I should be watching this show. Um, maybe that made a difference. I, I don't know. But I really enjoyed the final season. I loved the prison breakout, um, the conversation on the phone uh, that Bill Hader had. I like, thought it was an amazing performance. Um, I knew it was going to hit everyone's list for better or worse. Um, but I thought it was a crazy wild roller coaster ride. Uh, the fall of Barry Berkman. Um, I'm glad that I bought the ticket. I really enjoyed the show. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. You don't have to hide your face from me, Jamie. Um, my number 10, or I mean, my number 11 is uh, Justified City Primeval. And I just have to say, seeing Raylan Givens back was amazing. Uh, seeing a new ensemble around him was uh, really, really jarring at first, but fit into it. I really like the themes of how a lawman like Raylan Givens fits into our world post George Floyd. Um, the discussions of of race, of over policing, um, how those played in, obviously, to to the story. I liked his daughter, uh, who actually was Timothy Oliphant's daughter uh, early. They used her for a few episodes and she went away. She wasn't there the whole show, uh, but she was there for a good portion of it. And uh, I liked their chemistry. It was uh, bringing back Raylan to tell this small story. Uh, I love the sweetie character, the jazz musician who owns a bar. Um, the the touches and flourishes of the city of Detroit, um, you, you know, that the bad guy, Boyd Holbrook, uh, Clement Manziel, carries around cassette tapes, which is such a, you know, antiquated way, I guess, unless the kids, the kids are into cassette tapes now, apparently. But uh, I, I liked all the the flourishes of decay, the darkness, the grimness. Um, but Raylan walking through that world, his relationship with the lawyer, which I thought was a turn we probably wouldn't have seen on Justified. I thought they stretched his character in a, in a really good way. And Oliphant was was equal to the work. Um, 
and maybe I'm biased, you know, because he's a Kentucky boy, but um, Raylan was great to see back. And I really, really enjoyed it and enjoyed podcasting about it. So Justified City Primeval was my number 11. Oh, yeah. And let's not forget, if you haven't watched it, stay for the after credit scene if you like Justified. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> all righty, then. Loving these picks, man. Fast. I, I love. I love how much we're differing. Makes it great. My number eleven. My number eleven. My number eleven is going to be um, for all mankind. Season four. Look, I'm not going to beat the tired drum of the best series. Hardly anyone is watching. Putting aside that most people say that about another series that is going to likely appear even higher on our lists look let's face it there's a lot of folks out there who don't even have apple tv no matter how popular you may think ted lasso is oh by the way there is no way ted lasso was making my list this year and i'm telling you right now if either of you put it on your list i will mock the fuck out of you for the rest of this podcast you know what that reminds me speaking speaking of apple tv and shows and recommendations and so on so I'll, I'm going to pause talking about this series that hasn't even finished the season, but it's making my list. I want to ask you two about a series y'all recommended to me some months ago, which is also on Apple TV. That show would be The Changeling. Pray tell, you two, when you extolled the virtues of that series to me, had you completed the series? Were you three quarters of the way through? halfway, just a few in, because I got to tell you, once you get past episode four, the midpoint, that series goes on a quick, steep decline, a steep fall, and those last two episodes might be among the worst two episodes to end any series or any season that I've ever sat through. When that when that series wasn't more pretentious than F. Scott Fitzgerald climbing the tree of life after binging his way through the first season of The Leftovers, yeah, I just knocked the first season of The Leftovers. Fuck y'all. First season's pretentious as fuck, sorry. But, oh my, it gets better than the next two. But, oh my god, The Changing, a garbage fire of incoherent stupidity. The time wasted in that penultimate episode and the what the fuck am I watching nature of the final episode with the dopiest resolution of any show since the awful American version of Life on Mars. I want to thank you both for collectively checking the box for the worst TV recommendation I've ever gotten. And the fact that I roped two other people in to watch this on a on an unfortunate weekly basis instead of just binging through it. Oh my, you think, I mean, they're, they're, they're great friends. I'm sure they're enjoying, I hope they're enjoying this moment on the podcast, but they would have been justified glaring at me at the end of the last few episodes. It's like, I think at one point, they're like, I mean, if they didn't, then I said it to myself. So your friends recommended this to you? It's like, no, I think my friends are not my friends. <laughs> in our defense, in our defense, it was not at the after the end because I wouldn't do no. that to my worst enemy. No, okay. I believe that the I believe the text message you sent to Brian was, "What sweet hell version of a fever dream is this?" <laughs> it, it after the first, I think it was probably about the halfway point of the season that we recommended it. 
because it was very different and right. and interesting and the baby it and was good. but then but then it just completely drops its pants and oh takes my god and it, it just yeah. it crapped all over my eyes <laughs> it was it was oh my god yeah. I don't know. yeah yeah i mean look like to, to to your friends who are listening we apologize we <laughs> hope you enjoyed the first Sweet. 4 hours yes. because that's what we had seen uh, the 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 yeah. rest of it the uh, rest of it you know I, I heartily oh. apologize. And even even thinking about it now, the fact that the author himself is the narrator and he just drones on and on, especially one of those last episodes, it's like, oh my god, I'm I'm gonna find him and I can't say it, you know, because then I'll get canceled. Okay, let me get back to my number eleven choice. <laughs> See, it wouldn't be in our four hundredth podcast. I had to get at least one rant in, and I. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. It was worthy. I was, it trying was, not worthy. To, I was, I was trying not to sputter spit on onto the microphone while I was doing that one too. So back to for all mankind. Look, it just misses my top ten because number one, look, I didn't finish the didn't finish the season. I have to admit, I'm a little leery as to whether or not they're going to be able to stick the landing, and it's still kind of in in the air is this the final season or not because i thought it was and now i'm hearing that you know people behind it they don't want it to be but it hasn't been renewed i don't know they got to be spending a lot of money on this show so i don't know if apple tv wants to keep i mean they throw billions at everything who knows so i don't know and number two look there's been a storyline or two and a couple characters as well that just simply are not as rich or as compelling as most of the ensemble from the earlier seasons Thankfully, there's no one that's as annoying as Danny or Jimmy Stevens on the show anymore. And, you know, at the end of the, oh, here it is. At the end of the day, <laughs> it's still more often than not a compelling watch that will still manage to suddenly surprise or shock you. And likely it's a series that will tend to have more heart stopping moments than any other current series that we are, that we're all watching. I said it from day one. If Mad Men met the Americans and created a what-if scenario with the global space program, that's what you get when you get For All Mankind. And that's why it stands just on the precipice of the top ten, but it's up against, and you'll hear it later, a wall, a trio of genre shows that we'll be discussing later that said, no top ten for you. You don't get to make that list. Let's shift over to another list, and that would be our top 10 characters of 2023. Now, let me preface this for everybody. We're talking about characters that can be cool, quirky, heroic. They can horrify. It doesn't matter if you're an antagonist, a protagonist, or even a tritagonist, which is a word I only learned today. That's a real word, people. Tritagonist. I'll tell you, if you need to know what it means, uh, I'm not going to tell you. Go Google it, but you're going to use it. Trust me. Um, you know, whatever. They can be funny, stoic. Doesn't matter if you were the lead or the eighth person down on the credit list. As long as you are compelling and made your mark, that is what qualifies you for our list for the best characters of the year. And once again, I will cede the stage to the the, the highlight of the podcast where there are picks tonight, as far as I'm concerned. Jamie, let's he let's hear those honorable mentions first before you start hitting uh, your number 10. If you have any. If you have any. You know what? I don't have any honorable mentions. I, I made my list as tight as I could make it. So 
I'm just going to jump in to number 10. Uh, my number 10 character pick is going to be the character of uh, Otto Frank on A Small Light. Uh, Otto Frank is the patriarch of the Frank family, yes, and Frank, uh, and the family that had to go into hiding. Um, I picked him because uh, it's somebody that we've learned about in history, uh, thanks to Anne Frank's diary. But getting to see somebody actually portray him um, with a little bit of a different perspective, not from the eyes of a 13-year-old girl, um, but from those who work with him and respected him. Uh, he was played by Liv Schreiber. And I'm going to be honest, I've seen him in a lot of other other things, and it took me almost an entire episode to realize that's who I was looking at and listening to on the first the first episode of this miniseries. Um, it's a man who had to survive tragedy uh, and used his voice to speak in the smallest of places. Uh, the writing made sure that Otto's dialogue was never wasted and made it count. Well, I will do my honorable mentions. Uh, the first honorable mention is I thought Tom Hiddleston did a great job as Loki in this last season. Uh, probably his best performance in the character as far as dramatic impact. Um, I thought he brought a lot to the performance in Loki. Um, and my other honorable mention, um, got to say it, man, John Bernthal in Fishes, uh, the episode of The Bear, just the raw animal intensity that he brought to that episode. I mean, it's it's a murderer's row that episode i mean come on but um i could watch that guy play that character all day long and so that's my honorable mention uh my number 10 character uh for this year is gary oldman playing jackson lamb on slow horses uh i really enjoyed this season he gets out of the office and you see jackson still has a few tricks up his sleeve um, and goes to save his secretary and uh, pulls some pretty good uh, tricks and sees a couple of moves ahead the way Jackson typically does. And this is just a great performance and really enjoyed it. <coughs> Excellent. Um, let me get into my honorable mentions first. Uh, got some doozies in here. So, First, I'll lead off with someone from Reservoir, uh, Reservoir, Reservation. That mistake always happens. Reservation Dogs. I'll give an honorable mention shout out to Willie Jack, played by Paulina Alexis. Um, has at least for the last couple seasons has be became my favorite character. I know Cheese is the easy default character to pick. I feel that's too obvious and easy a pick. That's why I said out in case anyone picks him. But, um, I just, I've adored that actress and what she's pulled off with that character. So that's, but she um, didn't quite make my 10, but she made my honorable mentions, which is almost as good. Um, then we'll go to Barry again. <laughs> Barry shows up in my honorable mentions, but won't make any of my goddamn list this year. My honorable mention goes to Sally, played by Sarah Goldberg. Um, she probably got, had the most to do and had the most diverse changes in character this past season than ever before. And she showed me something because I didn't really care for her very much in the previous seasons. Didn't dislike her, just like, eh, whatever. She kind of impressed me. And 
oppressive enough for an honorable mention. Then we go to a show that made um, Brian's list. I go to Justified City Primeval for an honorable mention for Clement Manzo, played by Boyd Holbrook. We went on about how much we were enjoying that character when we did the podcast. Um, you've already mentioned a lot of things about him in when you refer to the show in your list, so means I don't have to. So, which we move to my next honorable mention, we go to the Gilded Age. Yes, the Gilded Age again. How can Aunt Agnes not get an honorable mention? Christine Baranski, oh my, it, it took all I could to not put her in my top ten. I was like, but but I, I left her out because I felt this is good enough. I'm going to give her a shout out anyway. Um, two more. I, I'm, I'm going to reverse the order because I just added one five minutes ago. <laughs> Thanks to Jamie reminding me. I'm a little shocked. I forgot. Uh, shrinking. Harrison Ford's Paul Rhodes. Look, if there's a reason to watch Shrinking, and other than Jessica Robinson, who was fantastic, and my, and actually probably could have made this list as well, quite frankly. Between, but Harrison Ford was kind of a revelation because he's even, he's kind of spoofing himself to a certain degree here. The irascible talk show guest that we've known to be a grump for the last 25 years. Uh, but he's so good. And here's a, so here might be my, my one surprise on this list. I'm going to go to a Star Trek show. I'm going to Strange New Worlds. I'm going to Captain Christopher Pike. Anson Mount deserves an honorable mention, and I'll tell you why. Because not since maybe Kirk himself have I ever watched the Star Trek show where I'm actually disappointed if the captain isn't in a, every goddamn scene. Anson Mount really brings it. He's just... Who would have thought when I watched Hell on Wheels that I'd be going, you know what? This guy would be perfect for the Star Trek universe, and I want him on screen at all times, you know? And that's why you notice when he wasn't on screen this past season, like, oh, where's Anson Mount? He's so good. But he's, he, I, he, again, he might, he's in the running for best captain of Star Trek. You know, sorry, Kirk and Picard and, uh, and Cisco. Dan's not here. He can't, he's not here to defend anyone. I think. Pike in a box. Pike, Pike's good. He's not in a box no more. Anyway, my number 10 choice, and I'll keep this a much briefer than my honorable mentions. Jamie, you might like this one, actually. I'm go- I'm going to take a trip down to the fall of the House of Usher, and I'm going with Mr. Arthur Pym, played by Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill's Arthur Pym is easily my favorite character on that series one of my favorite things i've seen mark hamill done that wasn't a wasn't voice acting probably in the last 20 30 years um he has one key scene in that in that uh series with verna which i think if it's not my favorite scene i don't know what is and considering how good that series was overall that's really saying something so yeah the fixer number 10 arthur pym mark hamill Applause on that choice. That's that's an excellent choice. My number nine character is going to be Misty from Yellow Jackets, played by Christina Ricci. Uh, in the story, we get flashbacks of this character as a child, uh, and we get to see the psychotic, uh, sociopathic tendencies kind of start to emerge. And as an adult, uh, we see her fine-tune those skills. Um, she may represent the Yellow Jackets, but she is indeed a busy bee willing to stack friends and foe alike uh, to kill for a place among her peers. Uh, Richie plays Misty with such a way that though you know you hate her, like you know 
you hate her. But somehow you keep kind of finding yourself rooting for her. Um, equally quirky and creepy. That's a that's a good choice. Uh, my number nine, and if this was recorded later, might even be higher. Um, I'm going with Dot Lion, played by Juno, Juno Temple on Fargo. Um, her performance has taken quite a journey, and because we talk about it on the Fargo podcast, I'm not going to rehash it. Uh, but uh, I have seen a lot of growth in that character through the the episodes of the show. We all are invested in her where we weren't before. So uh, I'm going with Dot Lion as my number nine. Excellent. Um, Jamie, I just want to give you credit. That Missy pick, great pick. Great, great pick. Wow. I actually, I'll admit, just like I forgot Hunters was on this year, I totally blanked the Yellow Jackets was on this year because the previous season did that. It was part one year, part the other year kind of a thing. I thought they did the same thing this one. Uh, but Misty's a perfect fucking pick. Great one. Oh, my number nine, um, I'm going to a series I've already mentioned in my top 20. I'm going to Billions, and I'm going with Bobby Axelrod, Damian Lewis. A character you didn't know how important he was to the series until he wasn't there. And the show, I'm not going to say it floundered, but it just was clearly missing something. When he returns, it's such a great bolt of energy. And again, this is a guy I'm used to from shows like Band of Brothers and other things where I wouldn't have found him synonymous with bolt of energy. But there are moments where you just can't help but smile. I mean, he really, he clearly enjoys the part. And it, it, that actually makes it enjoyable to watch as well. And when he, his, his back and forth with Paul Giamatti throughout the entire history of the show, including this season where they're kind of allied together, it, it's just so much fun to watch. And that's why we watch TV in the first place. So yeah, number nine, Bobby Axelrod from Billions. Okay. My number eight character is. Everybody here, I know this is your favorite spirit guide. It's William Spirit Knife Man. Uh, he's played by Dallas Goldtooth, the spirit guide to Bear and occasionally Uncle Brownie. Uh, he died in the battle of Little Big Horn. Little Big Horn. Um, here's the thing with this character: somehow he manages to he manages to play and poke fun at stereotypes, but yet somehow manages to lift the culture above the stereotypes. I can't imagine writing this character and thinking like, Oh, this is going to be so easy to cast this. Like they had to have, they had to have Dallas like specifically in mind because it would have been a really hard role to carry properly. Um, but he's a conscious who gives, gives bear uh, instruction and, while he helps Bear discover himself, he's kind of discovering his own journey. Um, it's funny. He's he's like the wisest and the silliest at the same time. I just I I can't marvel enough about how much they're able to pull off like such opposite personalities into one person. Um, but every single scene that he pops in, we all like we're all alert. We're ready to hear what Spirit has to tell us. So, William Spirit Knife Man. Good one. My number eight is Brad Pitt from the Dave finale playing Brad Pitt in an extended episode. And all I will say to not spoil it is the following. I made these notes particular. Auto-tune, stalker, crossbow, Luke.
I'm taking you're done there. I wasn't, I wasn't clear if you were done. You're done? done. I am done. Okay. Got it. Got it. Give me a signal or something there. Okay. Excellent. So my number eight, I'm going to go to a little show that apparently I like more than Jamie. Who knew? Uh, I'm going to Gen V <laughs> and I'm going to with Emma Meyer slash little cricket played by Lizzie Broadway. Um, by the way, She's the tritagonist of that show. Again, Google the word. It doesn't make, oh, wow, I didn't know this word existed. Um, look, there, Gen V suffers from some issues where with its main characters, but its supporting cast really brings it, and no one does that more than she does on the show. Um, she's easily the most sympathetic character, possibly in the entire boys' universe, for that matter. Um, you feel for her. I mean, everything from even how she, ha how she manifests her abilities in of, in of itself is rather tragic and, and horrifying and relatable for, especially for people who are familiar with, um, certain types of disorders and such. Um, but she's just a breath of fresh air. She's got so much energy. Um, she's funny and she's sad and, Really, she is one of the big reasons I was as impressed with Gen V as I was and why it, <clears throat> spoiler, ranks a lot higher on my list than James. And, um, <laughs> you know, so there you go. Number eight from Gen V, uh, Boo Cricket, Emma Meyer. Excellent choice. Again, Scott. Very good. There we go. Oh, thank you. Okay. My number seven is going to be Ed Blackbeard from This Flag Means Death, played by Takai Watiti. Um, he's diabolically funny. It's He's twisted. He's a thirst trap of a pirate. I mean, he's got the whole thing going for him. Um, he's a character that's really trying to struggle to make peace with himself and his demons um, and finds love in ways he would not expect. Um, there's not much more to say other than it's the perfect character for what's easy to play. Um, and God, the man looks good in a wig. <laughs> He's beautiful. <laughs> and uh, if, if you haven't watched the show yet, just watch it for him. If nothing else, just for him. He's golden. Yeah, I'm good. My number seven is going to be James Marsden playing a heightened version of himself on jury duty. Um, it, it never has James Marsden been as likable and funny as he is in this show. And for him to take this chance, uh, I, I, it, it was a surprise, a pleasant surprise. Uh, I really, really loved watching him on jury duty this, this year. But he's so good in those Sonic the Hedgehog movies, man. How can <laughs> good enough to make fun of himself about yeah, it. Even. I, 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 I've not seen the series, but I'm very aware of it. It's a choice I love, even though I haven't watched the show. You know, unlike some other people's choices. So my numbers, <laughs> my number seven. <laughs> but, oh, by the way, I'm just happy to hear that. Take away a titty made the list. Anyway, so. <laughs> My favorite joke from Oscar's past. My number seven choice. Uh, I've already mentioned the show before. Now I get to talk a little bit more about one of the main reasons I loved it. I'm going to White House Plumbers. G. Gordon Liddy, played by Justin Thoreau. Wow. As, as great as Harrelson is on that series, and he is, 
But Thoreau steals every single moment he's on screen. And the sheer ludicrousness of G. Gordon Liddy. And you realize, you know what? Granted, some stuff they did is a little bit heightened. But if you do your research, and I did, because it did make me want to read about stuff, you realize, hey, you know what? Most of this is fucking true. <laughs> and look, a lot of a, a lot of viewers, they're mainly familiar with Justin Throw from obviously The Leftovers, and they maybe even remember him as the painter from Six Feet Under. Um, some of them might not be aware that he's actually an excellent writer and screenwriter, um, even though he did some work on, on some Iron Man movie that I hate. Um, <laughs> but his flair for this... It's supposed to be a drama, but it's clearly played as comedy is so good. It's, it's the reason I would tell someone, uh, Oh, I don't want to watch that water hit. No, no, no. You have to watch it just to see Thoreau's G Gordon Liddy. It's amazing, especially when he starts putting on the Hitler speech. <laughs> so that's my number seven, uh, G Gordon Liddy played by Justin Thoreau. All right, my number six is the wonder kid himself, Nate Shelley. Though the final season of Ted Lasso did not make my list, Nate Shelley did make my list because he had probably the most pivotal story arc in the entire final season. Um, And I just gained more and more appreciation of him as the story went on. Uh, In season two, he was definitely a worm. Um, not a great guy turned baddie. Um, but in the final season, we kind of see himself like wrap into the arms of his family. He cocoons into love. Um, he finds self-forgiveness and emerges into uh, maybe not quite a butterfly, but like a moth, something essential, uh, something beautifully understated. Uh, and the desire for frill and fashion is gone. And Nate has truly found his purpose. It's, it's a great redemption story. I'm going to cheat for my number six because Scott, (laughs) Scott cheats. Uh, I'm going to, this is a tie because it happens in one episode. Um, And it's, I'm, I'm nominating Ethan Hawke and Devery Jacobs for the episode of Laura's dad uh, because the, the performances of a, child meeting a long absent parent and the discussions had in that episode and the way it's conducted very understated very non heightened emotionally um i love those characters and i want to see more i want i want to see Alora go to college and i want to see her get to know her siblings and i want to get her to see her know that guy i love the I love the awkwardness Ethan Hawke plays that with. And I, I so uh, both those characters really touch me this year. And uh, so, so that's my, that's my number six. You know, I know in many countdowns past, I've done my, my share of cheating things. So I, I can't, I can't really knock you that much, except I didn't do it this year. <laughs> I was actually really good. I stuck to no ties. I stuck to it. I thought about it. I stuck to it. But it's okay. Because you know what? I'm 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 too busy, you know, trying to rinse my the vomit out of my mouth after uh, Jamie's pick for of Nate, because uh it's the worst pick of the fucking show. With that said, my number six. 
<laughs> hey, guess what, Brian? I'm going to Fargo, too. I'm going with Dorothy Lyon slash Nadine as well. Juno <laughs> Temple. So good. Um, and we've talked about it on the podcast for the last several weeks, so I don't need to get into too much detail here other than to say I was unsure how I felt about that character initially. I had some negative feelings about that character at a certain point, and then I was won over, and she's become possibly one of the strongest, I guess we'll call her a protagonist. I seem to be stuck in this fucking agonist thing right now. It's agony uh, 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 that they've had on the series of, of all five seasons. I think you actually mentioned that on our previous podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet, you guys should listen to it. It's very good. Um, but yeah. I mean, un- unlike unlike the comedy show that she's known for, which was awful in ev- this past season, and nothing should be cited positively about it at all. <laughs> I'm glad she. Had, I'm glad if there was someone who found redemption, it was Juno Temple in her part on Fargo. <laughs> I love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Michael Jackson's here. Okay. Well, with that smart-ass quip, I'm going (laughs) to roll over to my number five pick. My number five pick is Tiona Rainwater from 1923, played by Amana Nevis. Uh, Tiana is a young Native American woman who has been trapped in a Catholic boarding school uh, throughout the series. She refuses to bow to remove her true self. She faces real evil in her quest to escape those who abuse and torture her and the other children. She is a warrior and a ghost. Uh, A reminder that America was built on top of genocide, but the spirit of the people could not be beaten away. Her story should be a series within itself. Jamie, that was that was damn near uh, literature there. That was that was really nice. Um, I'm going to go with my number five is Mark Hamill as Arthur Pym in Fall of the House of Usher. Um, and it, I want to see a series about Arthur Pym's trip around the world that's referred to uh, in, in that show and. You sort of see Arthur has stared into the abyss, and finally the abyss has stared back in the fall of the House of Usher. Uh, But really, really a surprise little nugget in that show to see Mark Hamill have such such a cool role. That's a great pick, Brian. My number five. I'm going to the diplomat. Ambassador Kate Weiler, Terry Russell. She's the star of the show, and she makes it her own. She's so good. I already mentioned her a few times in when I cited the show itself. Um, I knew she was good when I watched The Americans. I didn't know she was this good. I didn't know she could really carry a show the way she has this one. Um, I can't wait for the second season. It, it, I mean... She's, you know, I, 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 all I can say is because I, I didn't, I didn't prepare no fancy literary thing for it. I'm just saying, she's really good. Watch this show; it's so much fun, and she is so good. Now, Jamie. Okay, my number four is Shava Applebaum from The Hunters, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, She is a Holocaust survivor turned Nazi hunter. She's the ringleader of the hunters. Uh, This character is always on the edge of being a villain, uh, but demands a heroic round of applause as she is 
hot on the trail of Hitler himself. Uh, there's not much of a soft side to Shava, but she has love and more so she has pride in her strength. She has to be a bit evil in order to take down the devil himself. Wow. I, I need to watch season two of Hunters and apparently in The Diplomat. You guys are you guys are turning me on to that. Uh, for my number four, I'm going to go with Boyd Holbrook as Clement Manziel. Um, I would describe uh, Clement as Jack White if he was blonde, charismatic, and could throw a punch. Scott? They could say and murdered people. <laughs> hey, we don't know Jack White hasn't done that, you know. Hey, 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 hey. Seven Nation Army, man. Number four, I'm going to The Last of Us. You know, the show that most people put in their top ten this year. Um, <laughs> going with Ellie, played by Bella Ramsey. We remember her from Game of Thrones, and she kind of stood out there. I love that they gave her this opportunity. She's so, so, again, just she's just so good. And to see a child, a, a young actress, an actress that age, because I keep forgetting they're never quite as old, quite as young as you think they are, but she's still pretty damn young. Um, she carries so much weight of that show and she does it. It's, it feels almost effortless, especially when we get to the final few episodes of the season where she really has to do a lot of heavy lifting and she has some really fantastic scenes, um, fraught with danger, but she's also really funny at times and really touching other times. Um, I could have easily made her, she could have been in my top three. She could have even been my number one choice, but I was pretty set on what my top three were going to be. So there she is at number four, Ellie from The Last of Us. Okay, my number three is going to be Richie from The Bear, played by Eben Moss Balrock. Um. There's not a lot to say because we all know and love the show. Richie's a lovable loser. He turns into a commendable human being and a Taylor Swift fan. It's a remarkable for performance. And I just don't know how you could love this character or get behind him on things. And that's that. Uh, my number three is Harrison Ford as Dr. Paul Rhodes, a show that didn't make my list. Um, I thought it was a fine show. But I really, really enjoyed his performance uh, and really enjoyed seeing him do something different. So uh, my number three is Dr. Paul Rhodes of of Shrinking. Excellent, excellent. I almost want to change my number three just to spite somebody, but I'm not going to do that. So my number three, I'm also going to the bear. I'm also going with Richie, Ebon Moss, Backrack. I will admit that I did consider, I did consider Sydney, played by Io Ediberry. I thought she also had a very excellent season, but I felt that the the, the the character who I the coming out party this season on the Bear was clearly Richie. Everything from you know an episode that was centered completely around him to probably the most meaningful five minutes of the finale just about um that he, he's an excellent actor it's an it's a it's a character that we might not have given much love for in season one but wow did he win us over in season two so 
even even though I, I'll have to take a shower because I I realize I I had such I have such agreement with Jamie on something tonight. Um, never mind, Richie from the Bear, number three, absolutely. And I bet he's going to appear higher on somebody else's list. I'm feeling it's about to happen. I know it's going to happen. <laughs> okay, guys, for my number two, I'm going to head over to Fargo as well. But I really battled between the two on this. And out came the winner uh, for my list was John Hamm um, playing Roy Tillman. Okay, Roy. This guy, this fellow, a constitutional sheriff, a rancher, a father, a husband, a real prick. Uh, he values himself ordained and above the law, the keeper of the keys, the carrier of the rod, and he rules with deception and a closed fist. The villain of the year, John Hamm, plays a terrifying uh, reality that abusers will do anything to keep their place on the throne. Um. That is uh, amazing, and uh, yes, that that's that's an excellent choice. My number two is going to be Richie from The Bear. Uh, Richie is the lovable loser who makes good, and his arc over the last three episodes uh, of this season um, leaves us with hope, uh, fills us with joy. Even though we see Carm uh, circling, it, it's almost, you know, directly proportional as Carm goes down, Richie goes up and Richie steps in. And uh, when when he took over the kitchen, you know, and, and finally got the orders and uh, succeeded, uh, it, it was a triumphant moment for that character. And I, I thought he played it great. The story arc was great. So Richie's my number two. Wow. 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 Don't worry. I have, I have a little surprise for you all once we finish this list. So don't, don't worry. But my number two, I'm going to poker face. I'm going to Charlie, Natasha Leone. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit about Natasha Leone later on in the podcast because, you know, some people like, really like poker face this season, this year. Um, but wow. She, that character, won me over from the in, from uh, from day one or from episode one or whatever um just just something so vividly different than we're so accustomed to seeing on television and characters and what's great about it is they were able to do that in a show that's so lovingly retro and so embracing of a 70s uh feel everything from its format to the, the the structure, to the storytelling, to the overall plot for the show is something straight out of the NBC mystery movie. But she is... I've had issues with her over the years. I'm going to probably... I'll just say it now. She just reminds me of so many people I've known in my life back in the day, especially, you know... You know, you know, Manhattan's smoking chimney girls, whatever. Um, I, I would love or hate her when she was on Orange is a New Black. I, there are times I loved her on Russian Doll. There are times I fucking hated her on Russian Doll, but I loved her from on every single episode of Poker Face. I, I'm waiting to hear when the next season is going to come because she's, you know, it, it's, she's so good. It, number three, number two, excuse me, number two on my list. 
And now we go, oh, we all reveal our number ones now. Oh, I'm very excited. Even though I I think I know what one person's is going to be, but I have no clue what this one's going to pick. Jamie, the mystery is you. What is it? Put your goddamn microphone on, Jamie. Jamie, you're on mute. (laughs) Jamie is talking to herself. Jamie, I think you're on mute. We can't, we, we can't hear you, Jamie. It's really eloquent. I mean, it looks really eloquent. I know. She, she's moving. She's ahead. talking a lot. So, uh, but we can't, we can't hear you. We, we can't hear her, but apparently she can't hear us either. I don't, I don't know that she can hear us. Okay. So. My mic muted out. So okay. we're going to try this again. Wow. <laughs> Very I've never that. seen anyone's okay. mic. My number one long. pick uh, got a lot of. A, a lot of hell from the critics. Let's say that uh, on this on this show, um, mixed reviews, but it's going to be nothing but great reviews for me because my number one pick was Danny Sullivan, uh, played by Tom Holland from The Crowded Room. Uh, it is a story about a young man who's arrested in '79 following his involvement in a New York City shooting. Um, throughout the series. Um, there's layers to this character that keep coming to light and continue to bloom. And every single scene with Tom is just like increasingly magnetic and devastating. Um, I know Brian could attest because I was, I was sending text messages all throughout watching it saying this series has, there, there's a lot to be worked with here that maybe they, they, they missed the boat or didn't do quite as well as they could have done, but it was never, um, None of it was ever about Tom or this character, Danny. He was portrayed beautifully. Um, probably one of the most intense things that I have watched this year. Uh, and my my number one character pick. Yeah, you, J- Jamie sent me a lot of messages. It affected her deeply. I know that she would. I, I, we would do text therapy when she was watching the crowded room. Um, my number one is going to be Roman Roy from Succession. This is the year Roman broke. And this is when Roman gets uh, not what he wants and loses his father when he thinks it's all in his grasp. Uh, I think of, Mm -hmm. I think of him, I think of him at the boat. Is there speaking of boats? Is there a boat going by in Missouri I think, somewhere? I think we're, we're now going to join Roman Roy on the boat. Jesus Christ! Um, but I, I think of him uh, when his father passes. I think of him at the cathedral when he gets up and can't speak. Um, you know, there are a lot of great actors on Succession, and to me, Kieran Culkin nailed it. This this year i i think uh roman roy is my number one character for this year all right so it comes to me my number one choice uh, brian 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 i am also going to succession i considered roman roy roman roy is not a bad choice brian just told you why he's an excellent choice but is roman roy the best choice i'm gonna say no i'm gonna say shiv roy is the best choice played by Sarah Snook, because she's just more pivotal 
for the overall season than Roman is. And Roman does is heartbreaking at that funeral. That's an amazing moment, absolutely. But the episode, just the episode, the 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 Shiv versus Tom episode, where they're, where it's basically, it's like who's afraid of Virginia Wolf on steroids. You've got that one. You've got the moments when she realizes that the family is against her because this is Shiv's season. It starts out. You think it's gonna be Roman season. He thinks it is. But from start to finish, it's Shiv's season because she's the one who's constantly in opposition with her family. Is she with him? Is she not? Is she is she playing both sides and whatever? She's she's a lock to win best actress, best leading performance by an actress for the Emmy this this year. I would be shocked if she doesn't win. Um, just so good, and again. It, it it goes all the way back to the very end of the previous season, that moment where she's sitting there stunned by what's happened, and Tom puts his hand on her shoulder. <coughs> and that just carries forth throughout this season. Her dealings with her husband, her dealings with her family, her de- her business dealings, um, when she's dealing with um, Al- uh, Alexander Skarsgård, whatever. Um, Every moment she's on screen is gold, and that's tough to do on that show because everyone brings it, and Jeremy Strong has taken over that show for so many seasons, but this year, uh, I I do think Kieran Culkin was right there. That's why he was my other person I considered, and I chose between them. I was like, yeah, I just, I felt Shiv just was the stronger and more and more important character of the two. And that was why I chose, be, why I made that choice. But there's nothing wrong with your choice. I'm I, obviously, um, but you know, ugh, I went with Shiv. The, the better choice. Yes. Well, she was. Um, <laughs> and now before we get to anything, I'm going to add something else here. And that was, I was going to do this anyway. And now, now I, now I feel like obligated to after something Jamie did in this little, list here before i'm gonna add one here for an actor and and i'm biased we're biased because this podcast started 400 episodes ago being a madman centric podcast i want to give a special mvp of the year 2023 to mr john ham why am i doing that roy tillman in fargo paul marks in the morning show there was a hulu movie that apparently was released in theaters only in israel and nowhere else called um maggie moore's and don't forget he was also, his character, the angel Gabriel, was at the center of season two of Good Omens as well. He was the busiest dude of the year. Yes, I, I even more than Pedro Pascal. I looked it up. <laughs> and the fact that he played such a wide swath, a range of performances. This is the guy we know as being, you know, Mr. You know Don Draper and everything else we've uh, we've thrown flowers his way for over the years, but playing multiple villains of you know varying likability and horribility. Quite frankly, is horribility word? It is now. Um, yeah. So raise a glass for John Hamm, the MVP of the year. You know, keep on trucking, dude. <laughs> yeah, and I I remember. I remember saying early in the the Fargo podcast, can we see him bring the menace? Uh, like how dark will John Hamm go? And on Fargo, he went super, super dark. Uh, 
But you're right. I, I did watch the morning show, which is not on any of our lists. And, it, oh. it, you know, that season three uh, or four, whatever the hell it is, whatever this crap season was, um, you know, John Hamm has been everywhere and, and everywhere he goes is better because he's there. And Fargo, I really look forward to seeing where he ends up. So, yeah, I, I second your MVP nomination. I actually liked the season of The Morning Show. I hated the previous season, but this one I liked. But it didn't make my list. It wasn't in contention, though. then now we're gonna go to a list that um i i guarantee each of us is gonna have at least one or two what 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 the fuck on our list i know i do and if i do and there's at least one person here i guarantee will because she just she just has to uh so we're doing our top 10 TV episodes of 2023. Something we've done occasionally in the past, and now we're bringing it back for, you know, podcast number 400. So once again, and, and you know, by the way, the, again, we're keeping Brian as that buffer. <laughs> so, I, so I have time to recover from Jamie's selections. But Jamie will kick it off. Whether she has honorable mentions or not, I don't know. We've kept everything secret from each other. Look at her. She's like, I, I don't need, I'm, I'm so confident in my top 10. I don't need 11. 10. All right, I Jamie. I don't need 11. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. My number 10 uh, top episodes is from the marvelous Miss Maisel. It is episode six, Tasty Roast Heel. Uh, we get a time jump to 1985. Uh, Susie is at the top of the league talent agent and is being roasted at the famous Friars Club. Uh, we learn of the rift between her and Midge through a series of jokes and flashbacks. I thought it was a stellar and creative way to narrate history, the history of the two, um, all the missing years, and giving us one more episode to, in my opinion, um, worship the standout star of the series, Alex Bornstein. Solid choice. Uh, my number 10 is going to be simply titled Episode 3 from Happy Valley. It's the episode where Catherine finally finds out that Ryan has been seeing his father at the prison and her own family has been secretly arranging visits for him to go to the prison to see Tommy Royce, who we know throughout the show is not a very good person. Um, there's a particular scene where she confronts her family at a dinner table um, that that's played in a amazing way, but we also see Catherine break in a way that this show hasn't seen her break, uh, maybe since the death of her daughter. Um, it, it was a very affecting show and set up the, the final episodes of happy Valley, uh, but an amazing performance, uh, and, and really, a, a heart wrenching episode. That is a great pick, Brian. I never even thought of that. That's a great pick. I'm, 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 I'm impressed with that one. Damn. Uh, well, unlike my brethren here, I do have some honorable mentions, but I'll try to get through them fairly quickly. It, um, three of them are all final episodes. Uh, 
um, the final episode of season one of Gen V, Guardians of Cadolkin. Um, just a, a great finale, great cameos at the end, and great to know how this is going to bridge the gap between these shows and the boys. Really stellar stuff. Uh, the final episode, series-wise, of Billions, um, does what a final episode of a show d- should do. Um, I I was pleased and happy with it. Why is my voice so scratchy all of a sudden? <clears throat> that episode's title was Admiral's Fun, by the way. And finally, um, well, not finally, just for my finales, um, the final episode of The Fall of the House of Usher, The Raven. Uh Great final episode. I strongly consider it making my top 10. If it makes either of yours, I won't blame you for it. Uh, it, it, it would be a great choice. So much to commend about it. We did spend a lot of time talking about the series on the podcast, so I won't spend much more than saying just a great final episode. Um, much better than um, Mr. Flanagan's more recent final episodes of a few of his series. Well, something I want to say a little bit more to, I want to say a bit more about. Hey, What's the show that keeps making my honorable mention list but doesn't make my list? Oh, yeah, Barry. So, the third episode of Barry this season, You're Charming. I've already spoken why Barry got left out of my top 20. But here we have an episode from this last season, and honestly, it had an even better chance of landing on this list than 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 the, than the series did of making my top 20 shows. It's such a great episode from Sally's acting class. All the nonsense with Gene. And then you had that crazy shootout with the feds and the assassins in prison. It's definitely the episode that stood out to me before they jumped forward in time and all the insanity that happened then. So it was close, but not close enough, I'm afraid. And here's the one I hate saying this about because it clearly it doesn't apply to my other lists. I was worried about recency bias. And that might be why I decided not to have this episode in my top 10 and I'm talking about Fargo the seventh episode Linda we just talked about it just a week and a half ago um obviously it had major influence on why Dot made my character list it was close I just decided to go in a different direction um like I said we just spent an hour plus raving about this episode on the podcast so I feel we can pretend it's number 11 Okay, it's number 11. But number 10. Hey, look, I'm going to go with an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. That's right. I can leave shows off my list but still use episodes. There's a bigger one, bigger shocker coming up later in this list. I felt it was a fairly good season of What We Do in the Shadows. You mentioned that great Colin Ferguson episode. Oh, that was so good. But for me, there were two other standout episodes that fulfilled my craving for comedy that goes absolutely bonkers. And I came really close to selecting Pride Parade. I was so close. But I had to go with the sublimely silly local news episode. An entire episode that generates nonstop insanity based on the simple plot of a TV news crew is covering a local water main break and the vamps believe they've been discovered. It just gets crazier and crazier. What happens in the final minutes of the episode, it's truly bloody, bloody good stuff. Great, crazy episode. It's the kind of one that's like, hey, you want to see how crazy this show is? Check out this episode. Here you go. <laughs> you don't need to, you don't need backstory for this one. Just check it out. Local news, what we do in the shadows, my number 10. Great pick. 
Thanks. Yeah, that's a really great pick. Um, if I would have had an honorable mention, that one would have been in it. Okay, number nine for me is going to be episode 10, part two of the final season of Breeders titled No Matter What. Uh, in the episode, Paul finds himself in full circle as he witnesses his son struggling uh, with his own son in the same way that Paul struggled with Jay in episode one. Um, but rather than go to his own father for advice, he's there as the father for his son and in the end gives his father advice on how to care for his mother. Uh, the mirroring of the episode uh, with the very first episode of the series, it's it's not heavy handed. Um, it's just incredibly touching and it's heartbreaking. Uh, and it has so many extraordinarily moving scenes. Um, if you were a fan of this show, there's no way you were not crying by the end of this episode. Great stuff. Number nine. Yeah, that was an emotional episode for sure. Uh, my number nine is an episode of Welcome to Wrexham called The Quiet Zone. And it was about the creation of a uh, sensory uh, sensitive area of the the uh, Wrexham sporting pitch for uh, autistic people and showed the plot of a young girl who... Uh, had never really communicated and never really wanted to communicate, but became in love with Wrexham football team. And they made her an accommodation and eventually uh, made it so like she's a customer uh, uh, associate, you know, to help other people. Um, and she developed a bond with one of the players who discovers one of his kids is autistic at a young age. And um, there's a beautiful, beautiful scene where she's drawing a picture for the player. And it just so happens he's, you know, their star player. Um, but she made a, a picture for him and her mother talking about, you know, what the football team had meant to her to see her daughter engaged and communicating and, uh, you know, just talking about it now as a parent, it, it, it's, it was, it was really, really something. So, uh, really, really great, wonderful episode. So. Excellent. My number nine, I'm going to go with an episode from the last of us. Now, like a few other series on our lists, there was a few excellent Last of Us episodes to choose from. Uh, there's the entire story of the relationship between Bill and Frank in a long, long time. I bet one, if not both of you, are going to have that on your list. Or honestly, either of the final two episodes of the season. But I didn't pick any of those. I went back to the fifth episode of the season, Endure and Survive, for my pick as one of the best of the year. That's the episode where Joel and Ellie encounter the so-called fugitives Henry and Sam while they're in hiding from Melanie Linsky's Kathleen. The episode, for me, it's the perfect synthesis of both pathos and horror, of action and stillness, and ultimately of sacrifice and heartbreak. It definitely falls under the category, as I've said before, of the, if I was going to show you one episode of so-and-so, this would be it. That this would be the episode I would show someone to show them an example of how good The Last of Us is. Um, so that's my pick for number nine. Okay, my pick for number eight is going to be 
Season one, episode three of Silo, titled Machines. Uh, in this episode, Juliet strikes a deal to keep this massive generator running that's running the silo. Uh, it is just filled with high levels of tension and quick thinking. Um, one of the biggest reasons why I love this episode, because it felt like watching Battlestar Galactica for the first time. Uh, the camera work, the movement, the dial, it was all there. It felt like home and it was exciting uh, and probably my favorite episode of the entire season. But it is the episode that made me want to keep watching the show. You know, it's interesting that the, the way that you saying that makes me think it, it the, the silo very much is like a spaceship that they have to keep maintained because the, absolutely the premise is, you, you know, the outside will kill you. That's Excellent. Uh, my number eight episode of the year is the season finale of Dave looking for love. Um, Dave shoots his video with uh, Rachel McAdams, who has a running gag uh, as his dream girlfriend. And he finally shoots a video where at the end he meets Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt tells him he always wanted to get into the music game goes to Dave's house to record some music. Um, and let's just say surprise visitors show up. Brad Pitt ends up in a vocal booth uh, singing and saying things in auto-tune. Craziness happens, and it's one uh, of the most ridiculous, funny sequences. If you truly want to laugh, Brad Pitt's performance, he's in almost the whole episode um him and the main character and a couple of other characters are pretty much the whole episode and and it it's it's bonkers to look at Brad Pitt that long in a television series and the things that's happening if you can imagine Brad Pitt singing things and auto-tune playing them outside the booth uh it's crazy it's funny, but it's dark as hell, too, because of what's going on. Uh, but really a crazy episode. I mean, it's it's very level of crazy. So, uh, um, yeah, that's my number uh, eight is looking for love. Dave. All right, then my number eight pick is from the Netflix series, limited series. Wait, did they say they're going to be a second season? I don't remember. I don't think so. I'm going with Beef and the episode The Great Fabricator. When we talk about TV shows having great penultimate episodes, we often think of HBO series, Game of Thrones, The Sopranos, The Wire. Well, this limited series from Netflix, they upped the ante with a penultimate episode that was packed with twists, shocks, painful choices, horrific consequences, a level of tension edge-of-seat feelings few other shows pulled off this entire past year. It's a tremendous episode that fits really nicely with a somewhat slower and more surreal finale that followed it. So, yeah. Beef, the great fabricator, that's my number eight choice. Good choice. That's a wild show. <laughs> it's really, it's something. I'm still not sure exactly how I feel about it. Um, Okay, my number seven is going to come from Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The title is Those Old Scientists, Season 2, Episode 7. All right, so thanks to some of our favorite sci-fi tropes, uh, wormholes and time travel, 
uh, New Worlds cast and animated series Lower Decks collide. Um, it, it shouldn't have worked, but it did. Uh, Treklor applauds. I thought it was funny. It was fun, wild, sweet, hopeful, silly, all of the best. Scott left. He can't stand this. But I want you to know that that episode had one of the highest ratings of the series thus far. So, fun fact. (laughs) You got a big surprise coming to you, Jamie. You just fucking wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my number seven is from Barry. And it's the episode, It Takes a Psycho. Um, and that's the episode where everything goes off the rails, uh, and some big consequences happen for several of our main characters and it sets in motion the consequences for the end of the show. Um, there are a couple of really stunning visuals in that, that I won't spoil, uh, if you've not watched it. Um, but it's the... It's the episode that clearly told you the ending was not what you thought it would be, and you had no idea where it was going to go. And I remember talking about it at the time, questioning, will there be a time jump? How are they going to end it? And this sort of starts outlining the chapter of where it's going to end, and uh, was a quite a striking episode of television. So my number seven is It Takes a Psycho from Barry. Well... If we're going to pull out surprises, um, nothing surprised me more than what I picked for my number seven. My number seven, I went with Glorious Purpose, the final episode of Loki. Look, we talked about it. I also felt much of the second season of Loki was more frenzied techno babble and a madcap race across episodes. I felt they sacrificed a lot of the really excellent character work and more finely crafted plotting that they had for the first season. But my Lord, the final episode of the season was equal parts beautiful and probably my favorite word I've used with several shows already, bonkers, blissfully bonkers. I think when Brian earlier mentioned Tom Hiddleston and his role as Loki making his characters list, I'm going to, I suspect a lot of that came from this episode because of just how good he was in this episode. Wow. It's the final fate, not just of the TVA or the universe, but of Loki. It ends up feeling unexpectedly earned and probably a more appropriate penance and redemption for the God of mischief in his lifetime of misdeeds and mayhem than anything else could have. It's a superb finale that can sit alongside the finale of the first season, as well as that multi-Loki episode from that first season as probably the three best of the entire series. I mean, look, I think it's funny. I thought several other series would land an episode in my top 10 way ahead of Loki because I was so disparaging of it on our podcast a few months back. But I got to say that final episode really made up for maybe not all, but a lot of the season's shortcomings. And that's why I felt it deserved a spot on my list. Okay. Speaking of bonkers, uh, my number six pick, um, I did not just pick this because of the episode just itself. That was enough. But also it has my favorite title of any episode of the year. And it is from the Righteous Gemstones season finale titled Wonders That Cannot Be Fathomed, Miracles That Cannot Be Counted. Uh, This episode was 
chosen for my number six just out of pure absurdity. Uh, there's so much in one episode. Um, there is a self-inflicted bomb death, a swarm of locusts, a coming out story, a NASCAR-themed funeral, an almost, almost true sab- sabotage. Last but not least, there is a game show debut. And it goes by the name of Baby Billy's Bible Bonkers, which put it on a t-shirt. I want to wear it to church. Love it. Hilarious episode. Great series. That's my number six. Truly a Walton Goggins, like, tour de force. Like, just Baby Billy, all time, all time. Uh, My number six is... uh, an episode that I thought was different than the rest of the episodes in this show. Um, and it's the episode Escape from Shit Mountain from Poker Face. Um, I love the episode because it occurred in uh, it occurred in a single place. Uh, I, I enjoyed the sort of like trapped in a mountain lodge feel. Uh, there was a interesting you know, cameo by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, there's another young female who's with uh, who's with her, and we learn the backstory of how that happened. Uh, and really, really enjoyed it because it started differently. It wasn't bright. It wasn't out in the West. It it was something different, and. Uh, Really loved the show, really enjoyed that episode. I thought it thematically was different and uh, really struck a chord with me uh, about the quality of what that show was going to be, that it, it was telling different stories. So, so that's, my, that's my number six, Escape from Ship Mountain. Cameo? It's not a cameo. Um... All right, then. I'll I'll get both of you for this now. Number six for me. Now, when I think of a show and an episode that really was far different than anything that came before or after it in a season, really changed its type of storytelling, both in terms of just the story it told and how they told it. Um, I'm going to an episode of Reservation Dogs. And look, I was really tempted to pick Elora's dad. Great, incredibly moving, satisfying episode where we meet the heretofore unknown father of Elora, Ethan Hawke. You mentioned him in the when you cheated on the TV characters list earlier. Um, I didn't pick it. I felt a, not because it felt a little obvious. Because sometimes the obvious choice is the right choice. But the I wanted to go with the episode that stuck with me more than any other episode of Reservation Dogs, and it's not one of the more obvious ones. I'm going with Dear Lady because, I mean, it bucks convention in a way. It just it breaks the mold of even the typically different prototypical Reservation Dog episode this season. We get a searing history lesson about racism and abuse that the dear lady, and in fact, her entire community suffered through back when she was a child, which leads to, in present day, a sad, but one would say deserved murder. 
it's a more gripping and even terrifying episode than any other Reservation Dogs episode before or since. And although, like I said, one could have went with the feel-good moments that pervaded the last couple episodes of the season, and there's nothing wrong if anyone picked any of those. This was the episode that stayed with me far longer and far more than any of those did. So that's my pick for what the hell number was I up to? Number six, Reservation Dogs, Dear Lady. Okay, commendable pick. Uh, number five on my list uh, is one that I'm sure, you know, there's just, it's an obvious choice, but oh well, who cares? It's number five, The Last of Us, uh, titled Long, Long Time. Uh, the story of Frank and Bill. Um, what I loved the most about this episode is that it somehow forms a quiet peace in a world of violence. Uh, and it shows that love offers glory in the simplicity of a strawberry and the comfort of an open window. It's not complicated. It's just pure. Uh, and it's it's the best. Yeah, f- fantastic choice. Um, my number five is the episode Linda from Fargo. Um and I've extolled its virtues on the podcast. You can go listen a, a few episodes, a couple episodes ago. Um, but like incredible storytelling that shifts the perspective of trauma using puppets. Um, and it becomes, as Scott and I have discussed, almost like a, an homage to the usual suspects. Uh, but a... I mean, a breathtaking episode of television, so much so that Jamie sent me a text after she watched it that said, holy shit, have you watched Fargo? This show is back. Um, Or back to form, I think she said. Uh, But, you know, uh, if you don't have that in consideration for your year end list, uh, you're nuts. I, I was just. A, a crazy good uh, affecting episode of television and kudos to everyone involved. Uh, just amazing. So Linda Fargo is my number five. Yeah, it was I. <laughs> Me. So my number five. <laughs> oh boy. Here's where we start having fun. My number five is from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I knew I was going to be picking between two Maisel episodes for this list. The Test of Rosteel, which we've already heard commended, and, and rightfully so. That was the sixth episode of the season. And Four Minutes, the series finale. Want to guess which one I went with? Yeah, I'll tell you. I went with the finale. Because from the moment we see how they chose to resolve the Lenny Bruce question that had hung over the series pretty much from day one, to how they do such a nice job of tying up the storylines and life arcs of a number of players who actually do some of their best work in this episode as well as the previous one, all the way up to a rather endearing and downright, I would even say lovely, ending to the whole Megillah, I decided... Yeah, I got to go with the finale because it left me with such a good feeling about the series overall. And that's something I couldn't say at various junctures of the series over the past few years. So, um, neck and neck with Testa Rose deal. I real, I, I was, I, I strongly considered it, but I said, you know what? 
when a show actually does stick the landing on a series finale, and I thought it did, and it was easily one of the best episodes of the season, that had to be my pick. So that's my number five pick. Scott, I'd like you to know that I sat in debate between those two episodes for a while, but my instincts told me that that was going to be the one that you went for. (laughs) And I felt... I felt okay letting it go into your hands because I knew what Lenny's story meant to you. So that was my gift to you. And just as we are in the mode of uh, agreeance, I'm going to go to my number four pick. And my number four pick is Dear Lady from Res Dogs. Um, there, there's plenty that you've already covered. I just would also like to include that there was something so cool about, like, so stand out about this episode, how it was. When we would go back into the memory, it was kind of filmed like 1970s horror movies, you know, where everything felt very real, but then also not real. And you couldn't understand, like they couldn't understand their captors, but they could understand fear. Um, And to only be able to sit and ride with that fear as a viewer and truly know what it meant um, was just very emotionally effective. Uh, One other note, uh, the child that plays Coda, uh, his name is Michael Podemski Bernard. He is the real life son of Jennifer Podemski, who plays Willie Jack's mother in the series. So I just thought that was a fun note. It was great that he got to be included and um, just a beautiful, disturbing episode. Yeah, and just so we know here, if you can read my number four at the top there my number four is dear lady what what the fuck's going on from res dogs uh so i mean of all the i mean just obviously a wonderful season but uh the backstory of the dear lady uh the dear lady has been sprinkled throughout the show um and to see you know a mythic creature explained but there's also the the track of bear riding with with dear lady and and some you know allusion to the killing of your fear of your captors um and just i mean one of those one of those episodes like we've seen in the past in atlanta or you know that that the show just goes off in a direction and tells a story that's loosely connected to your main main arc but super affecting this character and i love i love that they're in the diner uh together you know and then like you see her her hooves you know and at the bottom but just a wonderful wonderful episode uh, of a fantastic show so I think we I think all of us agree, dear ladies, a thumbs up. So that's my choice. I I did not have it on my bingo card, but all three of us would pick that episode from Reservation Dogs. I was I was so sure one of you would wuss out and pick your Laura's dad, but um well, okay. Speaking of picking episodes that other people have picked and why I turned off my camera a couple times during our little thing here. It's gonna be my next few. Um I think there's gonna be a lot of uh you know, simpatico between us uh, for the rest of this list, at least on my end. My number four pick, so I went with an episode of Poker Face. 
because I knew I had an episode of Poker Face on my list. There are easily, easily five contenders from a 10-episode season. That that alone is a bit of a wow. I mean, that's you hear that. That's got to be a top 10 show, right? Not, not number 18. So I had a whittle it down. <laughs> you know, I love the Orpheus Syndrome, but I knew that was more due to, ah, it's the first time I've seen Nick Nolte in over, over a dozen years. So I checked that one. The combo of Judith Light and Esapatha Murkison in Time of the Monkey, two stage legends people know more for Who's the Boss and Law and Order. That was tempting, but nah. Toss aside. I'll be honest, I came really fucking close to picking the future of the sport, if only because that's the episode where they really broke their format in a very clever and surprising way. We bounced from who we think the killer that we're supposed to be in pursuit of, and we switched to another one who's in Charlie's lie-detecting crosshairs. But I ultimately said no to that one as well. I knew it had to come down to two. The extremely impressive and also satisfying in how it not just tells the story, but introduces us to Charlie, the, the, the very first episode, Dead Man's Hand. That felt so right to me. And I started to put that in. And then I said, no, nah, I can't pick that one. I got to go with the one that's got the best title. I got to go with the one that's just, you know, it's so good. I got to go with Escape from Shit Mountain. It's a small but stellar cast. You've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the killer. That's why I just want to come, you um, You've got Everything Everywhere All at Once as Stephanie Shu uh, in there. you got the Umbrella Academy's David Castaneda, which is like, oh, I've never seen him in anything other than the Umbrella Academy. And outside of maybe, and I do mean maybe, the season finale, no episode is as wrought with as much tension. No episode has as, as extreme a sense of life or death for Charlie herself. It's so very, very good. I love it. I love anything that takes place in a confined space, and that's what they do with this episode as well. And again, I've said it a couple times already, and I'll say it one last time. Hopefully it's the last time. If you're going to show just one episode of a series of someone, for me, it's a choice between this one and and the first episode. I, I, I think I might pick this one. I think I might pick this one. So that is my choice for my number four episode. Wait till we get to number three. <laughs> That's my number four. <laughs> okay, guys. My number three episode is an episode that you've, we've talked about on this podcast, that you guys have talked about on your podcast. But listen, I can't leave here without talking about something that comes from the people of my 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 home, uh, the, the accent of my home people. Uh, I'm talking about Fargo, of course. Uh, and the episode is Linda. Um, there's not a whole lot to cover on this that you guys haven't already spoke about. Um, but just a few notes. Uh, I love throughout the episode how everything reads like some sort of like dodgy memory. Um, the in and out of consciousness. Like a memory you don't really want to have to go through, but you have to go through it. Um, and then also we talk about the use of the puppets. Um, the, the, the symbolism of the puppet is just so heavy in this because uh, humans by nature, we don't like things that are humanoid. Uh, we recognize faces and things really easily, but we feel very uneasy about anything that is humanoid. Um, we know that it is probably dangerous, uh, but using the puppets in this kind of description 
to describe the sexual and physical abuse was effective. Um, for one, it immediately puts us in that place of unease, but it also shows us that the abuser has removed his humanity. Um, his acts are in turn dehumanizing to the victim. The story of domestic violence is often the same that the outside, everything appears to be normal, but on the inside, it's not human. Uh, the strings are being pulled and pushed by manipulation. Uh, and from start to finish, the episode just made my back muscles tight and and just hurt my heart. Uh, it, it was beautifully done and with so much taste and, and, and true heart uh, that it never felt like exploitation uh, of that abuse. So number three. Yeah, it's a great choice. Um, my number three is going to be long, long time from Last of Us. Uh, I thought that's such a unrelenting, dark, grim show. Um, that episode is a reminder of what in life is worth fighting for. Uh, that that love and beauty and music and food. And things, uh, things that the world needs to preserve to make living worth living, um, and and it it's really uh, a testament that it's a place they go learn the story, so that it's you know it's almost a historical marker along the road of the show, um, and showing briefly how Joel is related and and knew the people uh, and knew them at a different time um and that it, it it's quite touching you know they they die on their own terms uh in, if you will in the way they wanted to die uh seeing the note that was left you know was heartbreaking but seeing the joy they had and and who had you know who had Ron Swanson being a uh, being a a delicate uh, man child, uh, just a just a beautiful beautiful man, uh, and I believe I forget the actor's name, but the other guy was White Lotus, right? The guy from the White, Murray something, uh, but you know. Uh, that was one of the, the the rest of my list are all going to be the kind of episodes that like when they were over social media exploded. Like this is one that immediately people were like this, you know, this is one of the most crazy things I've ever seen. Not to mention in such an ugly world to give representation, you know, uh, in, in a, a tough time to to a gay couple. So um, my number three is long, long time. Last of Us. Um, hey, I, I can't argue with a choice that you both, and I knew, I, I suspected you both would pick it. Um, and I can, I did consider it. Um, it is a great episode of television for all the reasons you've both outlined. Um, so, but I'm not, I, I can't make fun of the choice. Uh, I just, killing the deaf kid just broke my heart in the other one. And it, that hit, that hit me harder than anything else in the, the entire season. So, you know, and the fact that the actor actually was deaf was actually even more impressive. Okay. My number three, my number three, which should have a little subtitle. This is me giving a middle finger to Jamie because it's an episode from Star Trek, strange new worlds. Hey, you know what episode it is? Fucking those old scientists, Biatch. Yeah. 
Now, there were a few choice track episodes that I could have made this top 10 list, but I'm going with this one because it pulled off two amazing, unbelievable things. Number one, they figured out how to do a not just impressive, but absolutely perfect crossover with an animated series, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, which leads to my number two. I fucking hated the first season of Lower Decks, and I have steadfastly refused to give that series another shot due to my total loathing of one of the two main characters. And yet, and yet, I loved every last minute of this extremely unlikely crossover, so much I may actually give Lower Decks another shot at some point in the near future. The fact that the voice actors of the two Lower Decks characters, Tony Newsom and Jack Quaid, actually so very strongly resemble the characters that they usually only voice, which leads me to believe the art might have been loosely based on the actors themselves, it probably was, is more than fortunate. And while I never cared for the elbow-nudging jokes that I saw in that first season of Lower Decks, the humor they employ in this episode made me genuinely laugh out loud several times. I think it's a great episode. I think it should go on the Mount Rushmore of all-time crossover episodes. Move over, Magnum P.I. and Murder, she wrote. We've got a new great crossover here. And it's Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. Those old scientists. Or these old, whatever the hell it is. Something with old scientists. <laughs> I... First of all, I just have to say that I absolutely love that there has been two references to murder she wrote in a 2023 podcast. That's excellent. That just makes my night. Um, Okay. My number two pick is something that I would wager, had you remembered, would probably be in your top five episodes, Scott. Um, And that is the episode called the home in season two of the hunters. So this episode takes place in wartime Germany as a flashback. Uh, It focuses on an old couple and their story and their attempt to thwart Nazis that are about to discover the family that they have hidden in their walls. Uh, Like, like a real game of mousetrap. Um, It's all set up so that the pieces are perfectly placed together uh, as they are weeding out the rats. rats. Uh, It's it's so creative and terrifying um, while being really funny. I don't I, I can't even describe it with enough adjectives. It's just it almost made my episode of the year. It was this close. It was this close to number one. It's bad enough. I forgot about. Season two of Hunters, which may or may not have made my top 20. It might have. I, I did enjoy it a lot. It might have. But now you mentioned that episode and like, wow, that was an episode of television to be remembered. And that, that makes up for at least a few of your weird ass choices tonight, Jamie. <laughs> That's a great pick. I, I am I am ashamed of myself for forgetting with you it. on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I believe after you had watched it, because I watched it and you watched it, and I, I believe I said something. If we ever do a top ten yeah. episodes, yeah. this I, would be in it. I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. Ah, oh, god damn it! Wish you. Oh, all right. It happens. I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> That's okay. I, I'm gonna tip my hand because you probably know what my number one's gonna be when I tell you my number two. Yeah. Uh, my number two is Connor's wedding. 
succession. <laughs> um, the game changer for this show. Um, it said, screw you, Game of Thrones. We're not waiting to the ninth episode. We're going to do this early. Um, shifted the narrative. The way the story was told through people talking on phones, uh, a lot of it off camera, uh, left us wondering. I mean, so much so after the show was over, people were like, well, did he make it? Did he not make it? Is he dead? Is he not dead? Um, and the reaction and the disbelief to the characters that this indomitable force of nature could expire. Um, I think of, you know, Kendall. Kendall saying, we'll get better doctors, you know, like uh, there was just no belief that this man could could go like this. And this sent a shockwave. This is one of those episodes that I don't remember if I texted you, Scott, or I think some of us texted each other and said, do not look at social media like this is like the the episode that someone could very easily run for you. And and within. 20 minutes at the end of the episode, it was everywhere that the shit had hit the fan on succession. Uh, but a, and, and kudos to them for keeping this quiet. Like, you, you know, I'm shocked it didn't leak Brian Cox. You know, the, I think Scott said they'd filmed in New York and he, he had made an appearance like, like just to throw people off. Like, uh, but this was a bombshell that went off in the entertainment uh, world and was a, powerful affecting episode of of television seeing some of the best actors at the top of their game dealing with major major plot twists and doing a lot of heavy lifting so connor's wedding is my second best episode of the season i cannot argue with that um probably for me probably even though one could anticipate his character would probably be killed off because the whole show is about succession and someone taking over for him. When it happens, it, to me, was probably the most shocking death since maybe Will Gardner on The Good Wife, you know, uh, almost a decade ago. So my number two, and the joy of me going number two, other than, you know, you know, the relief that one always has after going number two, come on. Uh, (laughs) Hee hee. Is that now that I know your guys know, I'm pretty sure I know what your, it's one or the other. I know what your guys' number one pick is going to be, which means I finally get to jump ahead of you guys for a change. Cause you, you guys went with, all I know is that if your choices don't begin with the letter F, I'll be very surprised. <laughs> like it's more surprising than, than, than the running log on keeping of Jamie's bizarre picks. Anyway. My number two choice is from, and a bear does go number two in the woods because number go, bear goes number two on my list, <laughs> <laughs> and I went with fishes. Now, look, most people who watch the bear, you know, we're gonna have to pick between one of those two episodes. It's either gonna be this one, but you know, the finale is really good. No, no, no. You know, the trip to Denmark's really good. No, no, no. It's gonna be fishes or forks. Forks or fishes. Fishes, forks, forks, fishes. Look, forks might actually be the more popular choice. It's a perfectly encapsulated episode, constructed with care, perfection, giving us a free, fresh, positive perspective on a specific character. Squeezes in a wonderful 
more accurately the use of the word cameo, uh, guest appearance in it. I'm just fucking with you, Brian. I'm sorry. I can't help it. But fishes, man. If forks is a perfect meal, then fishes is an all-out feast for the ages. An unbelievable list of guest performers, from an against-type Bob Odenkirk to an amusingly adhering John Mulaney, always solid Sarah Paulson, we didn't even mention Jillian Jacobs, whatever, but Miss Jamie Lee Curtis turning in a far more award-worthy performance here than her Oscar-winning turn in Everything Everywhere All at Once. No other hour of television this year packed as many laughs and dramatic tension and truly informed us as to the tragic backstory of the Brizado family. So, yeah, much like Connor's wedding, that's the episode, once you saw it, people were talking about it, and people were just like, oh my god, have you seen that episode yet? Have you seen that episode yet? And I gotta say, we all love Forks also, but Forks didn't have that kind of reaction after we saw it. So that's why Fishes is my number two episode. Gee, I wonder what my number one's going to be. <laughs> but now we get to hear what their number ones are going to be. I wonder what they'll be. <laughs> well, you know, at the beginning of this, you talked about how you chose your episodes and your series picks based off of how they made you feel. And it was a tight run between these two. but. The fishes, they made me feel triggered and traumatized, and it's way too real for me and my crazy-ass family. Um, Kudos. Amazing episode. But the one that made me feel really good was the other choice. So I'm going to throw that damn fork, Scott, and I'm going to give you my number one is Forks uh, from the Bear. Uh, I, I loved that something that Richie saw as a slight being handed to him um, turned out to be just the most amazing gift. You know, it was, it was a mirror in the shape of a fork. Uh, He got to finally see what he was made of, what everybody else just deep inside knew there was a possibility there with him. He just, he just never could see it himself. Uh, And, of course, we had the moment with Olivia Coleman uh, as the notorious chef uh, reminding him that every second counts. And those are big words in a very fast business. Um, It had so much love and respect for the service industry. I, I cannot congratulate it enough for that. That is a tough, tough place to be uh, as a career. And uh, it gave it a lot of honor and respect. Um, and I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where you walk away watching it, where there's just like a little part of you that just kind of wants to maybe push harder, see what you're made of, see what you can do. Um, and for that, it is my number one pick of episodes for 2023. Well, I guess I'll split the difference here. I will, uh, I, I will go. I, I, I didn't have any hesitation. My number one episode was fishes um, and uh, subtle touches in this episode, like Barenthal's character changes when he goes outside unless you pay attention, you don't know. He went outside to use drugs. He was a drug addict. Uh, He comes back in and he's ramped up. You know, never mind. We have Bob Odenkirk being, you know, the the curmudgeon that that finally irritates enough to 
make him become the caged animal that explodes. Uh, and, and, you know, and a car crashing through the front of the house. I, I mean, what I loved about this episode is, is people said watching the bear makes them nervous because the, the speed of the restaurant the now you see like, that's how they grew up. That's their whole life. They're even at home. They're nervous. Um, just, you, you know, and I mean, my God, what a house of, of actors to, to put that together. And even the tenderness between, you know, Richie and Jillian J- Jacobs character, uh, you know, it, 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 uh, I, I mean, if I did best TV episodes of the last 10 years, you know, this could be right up there. And this was, you know, a piece de resistance. So, so thank you, chef. Uh, thank you very much. That, uh, fishes is my fishes is my episode of the year and just holy shit. Well, I cannot argue with that pick, as you know. Um, yeah. And ju- as just listening to you talk about it, rather than listening to myself blather on, it just made me think of exactly all these little moments throughout that are either um, comical or amazingly insightful or hinting at things, you know, like the imp- like the eventual suicide and, and things of that nature or whatever. And yet you can still, and yet in the same episode, you can have that scene with John Mulaney and those two guys about, and how entertaining he finds them. It's so funny. And it's so, and, and, and you realize that, you know, they, they've, they've got this great comic performer, John Mulaney, but I'm pretty sure he's not going off script, even though it they just tailored it to him. I mean, and that episode just comes out of nowhere. No, like much like you know, much like we talked about other things that we didn't hear about. I didn't know there was going to be an episode that's going to have like basically half of everyone we love in Hollywood in it. You know what the hell? But um, oh, I got to give my number one. I think we all know what my number one choice is. I mean, I know Brian does, and she probably does too. You know, she doesn't watch it. Yeah, my number one is I, I got. Come on, Succession, Connor's wedding. It's possibly the most shocking episode of television of this year. Few, if any, suspected the death that would occur and the episode would occur at this point in the season. My God. Each actor, each Roy sibling has a gut-wrenching moment to shine as bright as they ever have on the series. This episode features a master class of acting, of writing, of editing, of everything that has made this such an excellent series and it culminates here in what is one of the two greatest episodes of the series overall in my opinion So now we we now return to the Megillah Gorilla, the also relevant elephant in the room. We are now up to our top ten TV series of 2023. I have something I got to figure out. We'll wait till it's my turn, and I'll figure it out at that point. Because we are once again 
It's been an interesting list for her, so I'm dying to... Oh, by the way, Jamie, I'm going to tell you right now, with all your wacky picks, <laughs> whatever, yes, there's sir. one wacky pick I'm hoping you will make, and if you don't, considering what you've done already in this list, I'm going to I'm going to shake a finger at you, young lady. I'm hope I'm hope I'm hoping you don't let me down, but I, I got a bad feeling you will because because you know it's you, and and you didn't and because you didn't pick an episode as a specific episode in your TV episodes. I'm now thinking. Oh no! I don't think she's gonna pick it. I think she maybe didn't think it would qualify. Maybe I don't know. We're gonna find out. Jamie, hit us with your number ten. All right, guys. My final ten shouldn't be a surprise if you've been listening to these because this show has been on my top ten list um, every year we've done this, and it is again for its series finale. It is the Breeders. Um. Yeah, the cycle of family life just comes full circle in the season. Uh, It goes from raising children to becoming caretakers of those who raised you. Uh, The show's never been afraid to get real as humanity gets. Family is difficult but essential. Parenthood is wonderful and awful and beautiful and terrifying. Uh, It can alter your soul at a core level. uh, And then it's all handed down. So you can look after those who came before you. Uh, The show's writing is great. It's funny. Uh, Martin Freeman is just spot on as always. Uh, I loved every season. I adore every member of this family, especially Paul's parents. Uh, The writing has found a way to prove that everything and nothing matters equally because someday we will all buy our last pair of shoes. Ooh. Nice. Uh, my number 10 pick is Jury Duty. I absolutely love this show, and it worked because the, the conceit of it centered around a person they picked that was perfect. Um, the, the, the unknowing dupe, the Joe Schmo, if you will, of this group uh, reacted with great patience, humanity, humility to all of the boondoggles and things thrown at him. And the things thrown at him were quite considerable, Um, you know, from uh, weird people wanting to confide their uh, sex life to him, to a toilet with an unimaginably large turd uh, that, that could not be flushed. Um, don't worry, Scott. You don't see the turd. It's just reverted to. Well, no, I don't uh, to want to. A, no, I don't want to watch it. No. <laughs> to it. To a. To a. To a sexual practice called soaking. Um, it. It was. Uh, it. You know, brought to you by two of the people behind the office. Uh, so, uh, but this was sort of the surprise hit of the year. Uh, it was on freebie, not on a big network, but. Um, you know, as an attorney, a lot of people ask me if I'd seen it and did you, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Finally, I broke down and watched it and boy, was I glad I did. It reaffirmed my belief in, in a small portion of humanity. Uh, the people playing along were great and Marston was, was great taking a shot at himself in it. So really enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, Scott, good drawing. I know. There's more than one artist here. All right. My number 10 selection. 
is going to be. And I mentioned, if you recall, like 18 hours ago in this podcast, I, I said that For All Mankind was being kept out of the top 10 by a wall of other genre shows. And we start that little wall off with Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It's the best Trek series since Deep Space Nine. It continues its ascent up the list of over 57 years worth of Trek goodness. Even if you were among the throngs who didn't care for the musical episode, you have to admit there were at least four, if not five, other truly banger episodes out of the ten we got this season. As I mentioned in the character list, Anson Mount continues to be one of the most believable and relatable Starship captains. Another, and unlike other recent Trek entries, the cast which features both updated younger versions of semi-icons like Uhura, Nurse Chapel, as well as bigger names like Spock, and even Kirk to a certain extent. Which, by the way, if we thought taking over for Nimoy as Spock was a thankless role, that's nothing like trying to be a young Kirk. There is no winning there, so I feel sorry for that dude. But I would say it might be the most difficult role to take on in recent memory in all of television. But back to the show overall... Look, it's just, it's such a really fun voyage proving you can still do episodic storytelling at such a high level. It's so good, and that's why it makes number 10 on my list. All right. My number nine pick is going to be the new series titled Silo. Uh, we covered it a little bit. It's about a ruined and toxic apocalyptic future. There's a community that has survived and lives within a giant underground silo. It's hundreds of stories deep, uh, and they live with specific rules and standards that are created to protect them. Uh, it's a little bit sci-fi. It's a little bit mystery, a little bit drama. Uh, Juliet is played by Rebecca Ferguson. She is an engineer who is, surprise, unraveling a mystery uh, of her college's, her colleague's, sorry, untimely death. Uh, she soon discovers that many secrets could undo the entire fabric of the society that they've created. Casting is great. Creative plot twists, great use of technical effects, lots of suspense, great character writing. Uh, it's a wonderful start to the series. Uh, really big cliffhanger in the finale, so I'm sure that uh, season two is highly anticipated. Awesome. My number nine is Barry. Um, I enjoyed Barry this season. I thought it took risks. It did some crazy things that we've talked about. Um, had one of the episodes of the year, I thought, uh, I thought Scott touched, touched on a really important fact about this season, um, is that Sarah Goldberg really upped her game. Um, and despite Cousineau and Hank and all of the, of the other characters, Sally had sometimes not been given the, the weight to lift and, she was given some serious things to lift this season and did, you know, did it admirably. Um, I also would be remiss to say that I, I think a lot of people are turned off because some of the characters we love met very unfavorable ends. Uh, the the tragedy of, of Hank and some of the people we'd come to care about makes it hard to love the show. Um, and, you know, when you love Barry... By the end, you don't love Barry, um, you know, and you worry about that kid in front of that TV. Uh, so I but 
I thought it was a hell of a journey and this season may not have been the ending we wanted, but it's the one Bill Hader wanted to deliver and boy, did he deliver it brutally. And uh, so I, I appreciate it. And it's my number nine. Fair. I've, I, I've said enough about Barry already, but uh, I, I can appreciate everything you said. And we, also talked about it quite a bit on the podcast as well. Even even Jamie appeared on that podcast and talked about it. Um, as Ben she actually you know shows up. So my number nine pick. No. <laughs> my number nine pick is Gen V. I had fairly low expectations for this series, spinoff from the Boys Universe. I wasn't too thrilled with the concept. It felt cribbed from things like New Mutants and other things like that. Teenagers learn to be superheroes. And usually you have one or more characters from the mothership taking lead in a spinoff, and that wasn't going to be the case here, which meant I'm going to have to warm up to an entirely new cast of characters. Ugh, whatever. And they're young? Ugh, I hate the young. But damn if they didn't pull it off. And yeah, it does suffer from a common issue, which happens actually happens more often in comedies, which ostensibly is the main character is the least interesting person on the show. But like I said before, the supporting players, the one-and-done appearances, the assembly line of characters from the boys that actually make sense to show up and they never felt contrived or forced into this series. And it turns out to be a really darkly funny and violent ride that, as I said before, it provides a nice bridge between boy season as well as really standing on its own. So, yeah, that's why it's my number nine pick. Never imagined that would happen. Gen V, my number nine. I love your number nine pick. I bet you do. (laughs) My number eight pick is something we've already talked about on a previous podcast, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet. It's Fall of the House of Usher. It's Flanagan. It's Edgar Allan Poe. It's an obvious choice for my top 10. Come on. It's creepy. It's poetic. It's tragic. It's beautiful work. Great show. Enjoyed it thoroughly. My number nine is, uh, or number eight, sorry, is Follow the House of Usher. uh, Also Uh, loved it. Talked about it. Uh, It, you know, give me, give me all the Flanagan you got. (laughs) hey guys you want to take a guess what my number eight pick is (laughs) wait wait scott scott are you are you are you about to be a triagonist that's right (laughs) fall of the house of usher (laughs) is my number eight as we've talked about before on the podcast and on you know Obviously, you know, I said before, hey, it's Edgar Allan Poe meets Succession with a pitch black countdown of violent ends for each member of the Usher family. Look, I'm not ever going to say it's the best Mike Flanagan series for Netflix. I still think that's Haunting of Hill House. I think that one reigns supreme over all the others. But Fall of the House of Usher, I think, is the best ensemble work by any of his uh, recurring cast of performers in all the series for Netflix. So yeah, that's all I'll say about it as well. Because as we've said, we've talked about it on the podcast. We've talked, and I, it's the it's one of the few times I think we're all pretty much in sync on this one. Clearly, because we all picked it at number eight. Wow, that's so weird. It's the infinity symbol, the fall of the house of usher. Number eight for everybody, for everybody. Oh, I just realized what, what I forgot to do. Oh goddamn it! All right, I'll, I'll worry about it on my next one. Go, Jamie. Okay. 
Uh, rolling in with number seven. My number seven is A Small Light. It is a miniseries that was done for Nat Geo. It was on Hulu and on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's the inspired story of Meet Geese, who played a critical role in the hiding of Anne Frank and her family from the Nazi occupation of Amsterdam. Starring Belle Pauly, Liv Schreiber, Ian McKelney. Uh, we all know the story of the Frank family, thanks to the diary of Anne. Uh, but this story that we don't get to hear as often, or if ever, uh, is the story of Meep Geese and her husband, Jan, uh, and what they endured, how they revolted, and uh, had absolute courage uh, in the face of fas fascism uh, to protect these family members and keep them safe. Uh, <laughs> if it's not my favorite of the year, it's definitely the most important. Uh, beautiful work. Thoroughly solid piece, um, deeply moving. Um, my number seven is Happy Valley season three. Uh, after such a long trip forward, we see where everyone is in their life. Uh, we get to see the conclusion of this story. Um, some twists and turns with Tommy Royce, uh, things that, that happened to the family and, uh, this is a show that I think Scott and Dan and I talked about years ago um, and, and seeing season three pop up after a long absence, I was kind of like, what the heck? And I watched it and got right back in and absorbed. Uh, so really, really enjoyed it. Probably the end of it, but, but love this show. And uh, so that's my number seven is happy Valley season three. I think one of the reasons I ended up not choosing Happy Valley to put it on my uh, overall top 20 list and I consigned it to honorable mentions is I still have a bit of a post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, whatever the word is, because um, it was the podcast that I did with Susan from Geek Girl Soup, which was about Happy Valley, that some person gave us a one-star review and ripped it, ripped into us, both of us, but me by mostly me uh on the review and it that that still sticks in my craw even years later because i went, went like you know whatever just pisses me off so when i i guess i guess i just get a little annoyed so i, I didn't want to all right let me get to my number seven which i suspect is going to be a little higher than everybody else well not suspect i know it's going to be higher than everyone else's list so you know my number seven pick is reservoir dog reservoir i did it again reservation dogs you think I'd, you think I, you see, I don't read the damn thing. You know, I write res dogs and that's what we expect. Season three, the final season of Reservation Dogs is my number seven pick. And there's no shame in being number seven. If you're in my top 10, that's, that, that, that means something anyway. I found, look, this series, it's less funny than poetically poignant. It's the best young cast of any TV series in recent memory. Look, here's, here's where I'm going to be a little, you know, why it didn't make my top five. Did they maybe spend a little too long with the return back from California specific to Bear? Yeah, it kind of felt like I went on a little bit too long. Do I also feel like they deserved at least one more season? Yeah, I would have liked another season. I really would have liked one. There were a handful of memorable episodes. We've already discussed, um, well, one big one on this podcast. I thought it was going to be more than that. And I thought they really stuck the landing in a way that felt right for this really lovely and at least mildly supernatural show about the importance of things like family, of community, 
of respecting one's history and culture while trying to forge one's own path, one's own path in the world today. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's a show that I can't imagine how they did the pitch meeting. Um, I think because certain people were involved, they were able to get it made, you know, mainly like having, uh, I may have to say it again. Yay. Take away your titties above behind the show again. So. <laughs> I'll say it as many times as I want, motherfuckers. But uh really loved it. It's my number seven pick. And let's get to number six. Okay, my number six is the final season of The Great. The Great is a comical, not entirely accurate retelling of the rise of Catherine the Great and the fall of Peter III. The final season brought the untimely death of Peter, uh, leaving those who despised him and loved him equally to pick up the pieces of the belligerent patriarchy plaguing Russia. Uh, Elle Fanning brought poise and punk rock to her portrayal of Catherine, and Nicholas Holt as Peter gave us a role to love as he brought hilarity to nearly every scene. Uh, it's gorgeous set, uh, immaculate costumes, sharp tongue humor. Uh, it's definitely not for children, uh, and definitely not for the prim and the proper. I, I'll... I... Always am amused by the untimely death of Peters. That's always a, it's always a a, a place comedy can start. Um, so, uh, my number six is, and let me just say, from six to one, six to one. Th- this this is where, in my opinion, like there's no question about the quality of these six shows. Um, but my number six is Poker Face. Uh, uh, the retro feel, the attention to detail, the the music, the uh, casting, as Scott alluded to, you know, we have uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful casting in this show. And the the sort of story of the week with the, you know, sort of the human lie detector Hulk on the run, uh, you know, across America. Uh, really, really, this show captured something in me that was nostalgic, but it also was fresh and new. Um, so I uh, really, really look forward to season two of Poker Face. That's a great pick, Brian. Nice. <laughs> My number six. I'm going with season five of Fargo. And honestly, if this season does as well with the final two episodes that we have obviously not seen yet, I may want to get in a Wayback Machine and pop this season of Fargo in, into my top five after all. At this point, I feel it's already way surpassed the previous two seasons. And and I was using this phrase before I heard anybody's uh, message in a true return to form of its first two great seasons. And by the way, if one was to get in their own souped-up DeLorean, you go back, go back and listen to our best of 2015 and our best of 2014 that me and a guy named Dan did. Back in the days, my little rickety Radio Shack mic with a chunky, chunky soup can and a piece of yarn I jammed into the back of my cheap little laptop over here. Hey, you know what? You're going to find out. You're going to say, hey, Scott, had season number one of Fargo as my number one choice in 2014. Over Mad Men, over Hannibal, and The Good Wife. That was when The Good Wife was really good. Over the first fucking season of True Detective, overrated piece of shit. And uh, then, anyway, 2015, second season of Fargo. 
guess what? Number one pick. Over Mad Men, over season two of The Leftovers. Oh, yes, the great season two of Leftovers. Over the first season of Better Call Saul. So I'm a big motherfucking fan of Fargo. So it's really good so far. Even, and I broke the rule that I made a couple years ago where if a show hadn't finished, I didn't want to put it in my list. And then I made the mistake of forgetting those shows the following year. You know, sorry, Yellow Jackets and that show that was on HBO Max. Was it? Station 11, something 11, whatever the hell it was called. Uh, good show, but, but whatever. But I decided I'm not making that mistake this year. <laughs> 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 I'm not doing it. Uh, so my, I'm basing it, obviously, on the first eight episodes that I have seen. And it's possible one of you might have it higher, which is cool by me as well. It's hard, it was hard. But that, that's probably the only reason it's not in my top five. Like, oh, it didn't finish. Uh, no. Number six. And now we can hit our top fives. Okay. My number five pick is Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. I love the cast. I love the plots. They take some incredible risks this season. Um, Hi, there's a musical. They sing. And it was awesome. How is that even possible? But it was. Uh, watching each episode as they dropped every uh, every episode, it was my TV priority. Like, as soon as they dropped, I was going to watch it. Loved it. Um, can't wait for season three. You know, it was tough for me to put that on my list. And I, I, I don't regret it, but I see what you all love about it more than me. Um. But I, I don't in any way disagree with anything you say. And I will say, Anson Mount, badass captain. And a ha- not not a bad-looking fella either. Um, speaking of not bad-looking fellas, my number five is Fargo. Um, and it, as I said, as Scott said, I mean, it, it's number five with a rocket, depending on, on, you know, unless the people who did the Changeling do the last two episodes <laughs> of Fargo. Um, but uh, eight episodes of amazing uh, television. And I have to say, this cast, this cast may be the most solid group from top to bottom. And I'm not talking about like the top two or three. I'm talking if you go from the very top of the lineup to the very bottom of the lineup, you may have a power hitter at the top of, of another lineup that's better. And you may have a, a cleanup batter that's better in another lineup, but top to bottom, uh, like I love all the characters. I love Indira. We've grown to appreciate her. Uh, the only, the only, uh, the only X factors left are Munch and Wit, and we don't know where that's going to go. But, you know, who knew this was going to go to Wales? Uh, You know, I mean, crazy, crazy good. And with two episodes left, I think has a potential to enter the pantheon of the Fargo Hall of Fame. I knew you were going to put it in there. I knew it. Um, I I can't disagree with about 94% of that. Um, you know, spot on. Uh, I, I might push back on the, I mean, I, I'm assuming you're 
being specific to the Fargo uh, TV seasons as far as the best overall ensemble in one season. Uh, no, se- season two far and away has the best ensemble. It's, it's an insane, go, 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 think about it. There's like, there's like a dozen amazing characters and performers in that season. So that, that's, that's number one with a bullet. This might be number two. I might give you a number two on this one, but that one, it's, it's a special fucking place. It's just as far as ensembles are concerned. Just, just think about it. So we're up to number five. You know, I, I neglected to do something earlier. I'm going to do it now before I, I get to my number five. Um, Dan could not be with us tonight. I feel like I'm at an award show or whatever. He's busy with his OnlyFans. <laughs> okay. There's a joke I didn't see coming there. Oh, coming. Anyway. So, uh, and, and in pure Dan fashion, does he send me a top 10 list? No, he sends me a top nine list. <laughs> and it looks like he doesn't even like a couple of his choices. But I'll quickly run through them and share them because, you know, it's, if you remember back in the day when Dan would appear on the podcast fairly regularly, I mean, Quite frankly, he was the co-host in, in name. This used to be the serious TV drama podcast with Scott and Dan for many years. Um, this is basically pure Dan. His number, okay, number nine, The Mandalorian, even though he says he has no idea what happened. Number eight is Ted Lasso, even though he indicates it was mostly bad. He's definitely right about that. Uh, number seven was Picard because Whatever. Number six was Lower Decks. Number five, of course, number five is Frasier. He mostly really enjoyed. Number four, hey, me and Dan are simpatico on something. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, of course, because it's one of the only things he watches. Number three, hey, this sounds familiar, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Number two was The Last of Us. And his number one choice was The Bear. Can't argue with you there. Um, well done, Dan. I, I meant to get through these earlier. I wasn't going to piecemeal them round robin with the rest of us because uh, I just didn't want to. But now everyone gets to know what Dan's choices were. And now my number five pick. My number five pick. Now I understand how some or a few or one might not know how they felt about the series, but I know how I felt about it. I felt so good about it. I made it my number five pick. That would be beef. Because as someone who has had any number of moments in his life where I have felt consumed by rage, by longing for revenge, by not being able to let go of a grudge when I felt disrespected or slighted or embarrassed, good Lord, you couldn't have come up with a better series for someone like me. Stephen Wong, uh, Wong, shit, Ewan, Ewan, and Ali Wong, Wow. Uh, take huge swings and risks in how they approach their roles of Danny and Amy. Um, the, and the wonderful and slippery way one's loyalties and sentiments shift dramatically from episode to episode. It's really something you don't, you just don't see that often and really not that well done in the history of television, quite frankly. These two, they make so many questionable and outright bad choices. Yeah, they sometimes they wrestle with moral issues and issues of love and ego and family. They do it constantly, and then they do the wrong thing. And on top of all that, the fact that we're also given a really nice look and insight into multiple Asian cultures, especially the Korean culture, because the creator of the series himself, uh, Lee Sung Jin, is Korean, um, just like this male lead of the series. I mean, look, guys, if you missed this series, go to Netflix 
ASAP, binge it. This is this beef will leave you quite satisfied. I am telling you, beef, my number five pick for the year. Okay, my number four should not come as a surprise. It is season five of Fargo. Um, we laugh because we talk about the uh, the show hasn't finished up, and I actually have this in my notes that. Though I know the season hasn't finished, I feel confident in breaking Scott's old school rule <laughs> and putting this show in my top 10. Um, I adore Juno Temple and this, of course, John Hamm. Uh, this cast, as as Brian was saying, is just so good from top to bottom. Uh, it's It's just knocked it out of the park. I feel so confident that what we have left in this story is is not going is not going to remove it from value four. And in fact, if we had finished it, I probably would have even placed it at three or two. So it's just great. It, it has been an absolute dream of a story, and I have I've loved every episode. Absolutely, my number four is going to be The Last of Us, um, a, a show that focused less on the zombies and more on the relationship between Joel and Ellie and the world they navigated um, and did so beautifully. Pedro Pascal, uh, you know, carrying the weight of the world in his face and the way he moved. Um, and obviously Ellie uh, just what a, what a beautiful heartbreaking show you know it, it, this show is the dandelion growing up between the concrete you know there's just a glimmer of hope in this world uh that's fought for and survival fought for and uh really for you know maybe the best video game adaptation show ever uh actually very very dramatically well done well produced so uh, last of us is my number four That is such a good pick, Brian. Such a good pick. I'm, right now, I'm just scrolling through IMDb. I'm actually counting off all the people in season two of Fargo. It's, wow. Even looking at it now, I'm amazed by it. Kirsten Dunst, Patrick Wilson, Jesse Plemons, Gene Smart, Ted Danson, Christine Malati, Jeffrey Donovan, Bukim Woodbine, Brad Garrett. Oh, my God. We're not even mentioned. And even fucking Nick Offerman shows up for an episode or two. Best season ever. My number four pick. Um, um, it's The Last of Us. <laughs> look i'm not a video game guy and the idea of another zombie or zombie-esque series did not thrill me one bit but wow this series was insanely good it invites comparisons to the walking dead well you know what minus the first season of the walking dead it crushes the rest of that series with ease at the very least, the powerful and gut-wrenching nine-episode first season is at least on par with the six-episode first season of The Walking Dead. And I think I'm going to give the edge to The Last of Us based primarily on the strength of the two lead performances, which are comparable to the two leads of any series, regardless of genre. Much like a show I mentioned earlier, like Gen V, it's a series I had very little expectation for that turned out to be truly fantastic. So that's my number four pick. Okay. My number three might initiate some eye rolls from a certain somebody, but I don't care. 
I don't care. My number three is Our Flag Means Death, season two. This show was my happy place. It's been a rough year. There's been a lot of tough things happening, but every single time I get to listen to Rise Darby as Steve Bonnet, um, I just am immediately charmed and, and, and cheerful, and I can't help it. I just can't help it. It's so great. Um, he is an aristocrat, abandons his life and privilege to become a pirate in the 18th century. Uh, it is created by David Jenkins. The cast is awesome. It's got Rice Darby, Teka Wititi, um, Khan O'Neill, Vico Ortez, Leslie Jones, Minnie Driver. Like, season two is packed with people. Um, it's an adventure. It's a comedy. It's a love story. It's charming beyond belief. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it feels so good to watch it every time I watch it. It embraces the queer community from casting all the way into the storyline. Uh, it pulls from real historical events and then creates like a really comical way of telling them. Um, season two takes the season one setup uh, and brings those pro plot lines into a heartfelt, dramatic level and uh, deep seated belly laughs. Uh, leaves your eyes brimming with tears. It's it's all over the place. It's a great show. Great call. That that's a really interesting little show that you and I have both watched. I haven't watched season two, so I'll have to I'll have to bore down on that. My number three is gonna be, and as hard as this man, one through three for me suck. Uh, but number three for me is the bear. Um, I love the bear. Uh, in comparison to the other two, uh, I, I went back and forth with one through three, but the, the bear had s some amazing stuff. All of these three shows do. Um, but there were, there were a couple of things in the bear that I thought just were a little less than my top two. Still, I mean, a top notch. It's an A plus. It's just not an A plus plus like my top two. Um, but one of my favorite shows, uh, incredible episodes, fantastic. And it hurts me to put it at number three, but I got to be honest. Was it when we were offline after our last recording? Did I? kind of mock you in advance for what I anticipated what your number one pick was going to be for this list, or am I just imagining that? I feel... Oh, like... no, you mocked me. Okay. You mocked me. I got a bad feeling. All right. All right. That's cool. My number three pick, hey, you know, could have been six, it could have been 18, whatever. It's number three for me. It's Poker Face. I'm going to Cut all these notes. I already said because I already did a spiel about Natasha Leon early in the podcast, and I'll go right to the two massive things that the show had going for it that attracted my attention from the get go. Number one, I don't know if it's I've never known if it's pronounced. Is it Ryan or Ryan? Is it Ryan? Is it Ryan? Ryan. Ryan. Go Ryan. Making a fucking Ryan why. Johnson. Oh, one T Scott. Maybe I should shut the fuck up. All right, Ryan Johnson was the person behind it. Look, Star Wars nerds aside. This is the dude behind the greatest Breaking Bad episode of all time, as well as several other amazing episodes. This is the guy behind Looper, behind Knives Out, and Glass Onion. He is a name that when I hear he's attached to an upcoming project, it's automatically on my must-see list. 
And then we go to number two. I know that Murder, She Wrote has been mentioned a couple times in this uh, podcast in connection to this show. Um, that's cute. That's fine. Um, it's not really correct. Um, I absolutely love the show Columbo. There it is. I have faint memories of the NBC mystery movie from the 70s, where you had a rotating series of shows like McLeod and McMillan Wife and So, They Ruled the Airwaves. But I'm more familiar with them because the local CBS affiliate here in New York re-ran the fuck out of them at late nights throughout the early 80s. And the best, best, best one of them all was Columbo. I mean, I... I could do a, I would love to start a podcast just based on Columbo if I thought it would garner any listeners. It's that great a series. And you know, I watched Poker Face from the opening titles to the format to about a dozen other conceits and nods and everything about her, even the things she smokes. It's clearly both an homage and a love letter to the original Columbo series. So you've got this retro tribute to 70s excellence, and it turns out to be better than my wildest expectations. From all the guest stars, both murderers and victims, to the episodic nature while still maintaining a thread of co- continuity for an overarching plot, which we could also say is the, could be said of Star Trek Strange in the World, by the way, to a slight extent at least. And then the fact that Natasha Leon was able to win me over in the perfect role for her. I am as proud as Putin. To put this new series in my top three, by the way, at least for my list, having numbers five, four, and three all be totally new series is actually a pretty remarkable accomplishment in television this year. Way to go, TV. And now we're up to our respective number twos. And when I think number two, I think of Jamie. So, Jamie, what's your number two? (laughs) (laughs) That's the best introduction a girl can ask for. (laughs) There you go. My number two pick is, of course, season two of The Bear. Uh, This season really highlighted the juxtaposition of the family we are given and the family we make. Uh, What really matters, what really shows us who we are, isn't just what we do when the stakes are high, but the choices we make when everything is quiet. Scott is furiously typing, so... um, with with that being said, uh, I'm going to go ahead, Scott, go ahead and type uh, your anger towards me. Uh, yes, my number two is succession. And with that being said, I think you know what my number one's going to be. And I'm just going to say, you can love your Abbey Road all you want. Some love Abbey Road. Some love Sergeant Pepper's. And some even love Revolver, uh, but all of these are all of these are top-notch shows. And Succession this season the the was really really an excellent excellent ensemble drama um, that brought it home, delivered it, gave a resolution that I think was. Um, a little bit shocking. I didn't pick Magical Mystery Tour, uh, by the way. Uh, but a a wonderful conclusion. As I've said before, we had uh, Roman Roy being broken. We had Shiv navigating herself against the family, and really, you know, a a winner uh, out of the blue that that shocked the world. Uh, 
So uh, uh, Succession will go down as one of the best ensemble dramas uh, of all time. And that's my number two. And you know what? My number one, when we get to it, Scott, you know, I have to say about my number one. Guess what, buddy? It was fucking satisfying. That's our theme for this podcast. Satisfaction. I'm my number one left me satisfied. Well, there's been few podcasts where I was, I'm so happy that I will get to get the last word on our top 10 list because that will restore sanity. No, I'm just fucking with you. But let me get to my number two choice, which I think we all know because, you know, it's got to be what it is because we know what my number one choice is going to be because, you know, I know what great TV is. Season two of The Bear is my number two choice. The first season was already mwah, mwah, chef's kiss, ouch. That one came in number three, my best of 2022 list. Looky here, sophomore season improves upon the previous excellence, rises a notch to number two. We did one of our best podcasts of 2023 covering the entire second season between several standout episodes as well as performers. From the sharpness of the writing, the artistry of the cinematography, the way the show alternates between the gritty and the almost ethereal, we'll put aside that it kind of makes little to no sense if this falls under the comedy category. But what it really is, it really just ended up being just one, maybe one appetizer short of being the best series of the year, at least for me. But you know what? There's no shame in being number two, considering what number one was. So The Bear Season 2, almost beyond excellent. So good. But let's hear. Do you guys just want to combine your notes together for your number one choice? You know, so you guys don't don't repeat whatever. <laughs> anyway, I, I can't imagine what their number one choice is going to be. I'm, 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 on the, I'm on the edge of my seat. Go, Jamie. Well, according to you... Quentin Tarantino wrote it, but according to us, yeah, it's written by Quentin Tarantino. According to us, it would involve. If Quentin Tarantino wrote that shit, I might have made it number one. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been a very different, uh, different storyline. Okay, obviously, my number one is going to be Reservation Dogs final season. These guys were my neighbors and my friends and my cousins and my aunties and my uncles and my children and my pronouns. Um, the people I don't want to say goodbye to. And, uh, and I never will. There's, there's nothing more. This was family. They made them family. And I will never really let them go. Off to Brian. The, there was... Um... I thought one of the most ingenious things that this show did was uh, it it had a funeral. And the funeral was for the viewers, too. Like, it was for us. Like, they were, you know, putting the show, you know, down with the celebration. And in particular what i really loved about this season is that in addition to our young group there was a lot of space given to the uncles and the aunties uh and uh in particular i found i mean willie jack is the willie jack is the heart and soul of this show and 100%. her studying with the medicine man and feeling like she was being brought towards you know, that calling to preserve her people. Laura feeling like she needs to go away. Bear hanging out and not knowing and 
she's just being the goofball that he is. Um, but, you know, we see the the elders, we see the, the tribe uh, together, and when they're rejoined, the power in that. And uh, this was just, this show always moved me. I mean, from the first season, I think, you know, I've been a proponent of this show. I was worried how the last season would go. I can't complain with any of the choices uh, that that were made uh, by Sterling Harjo. He has crafted this world. You know, when you were young, when you were young, and you, what you thought was cool, like you never wanted to be native. You wanted to be the cowboy. Um, there's a group of there's a group of kids growing up watching this show, thinking, "Man, that culture is cool." Like those kids are cool, and yeah. he's given that to he's given that to his people. And uh, what a, what a fine group of actors this ensemble, uh, the writers, the uh, I, I just I don't have enough superlatives. There's rumors there'll be a movie that there might be a movie, uh, which yeah. would be fantastic. But, you know, this show touched my heart and uh, it'll live there forever. There's a picture hanging above my table of Willie Jack with her uh, ancestors behind her, giving her the power that was drawn and sent to me by Jamie. That's very dear in my heart, and it hangs in my kitchen above my table, the same as the table in reservation dogs. And it was uh, resurrected, as it were, from the floods of 2022. From the destruction of my house, but it it hangs above my table. Uh, So a lot of this is as close to a spiritual experience as I've had watching a show. So, Yes, absolutely. Everybody's better friends than everybody else but me. I see. All right. All right. So. Hey, I, hey, Brian. Scott gives the gives out the best Christmas cards. Just so you know. I, I didn't have one to send to him. No, I, I ran out. Um. All right. So my number one choice, uh, obviously, at this point, um, is season four, the final season of. Succession. I could say it was a coin flip between the bear and succession. That would be a lie. This was not a hard choice for me. With each successive season, I wasn't simply impressed or amazed by this series. I was stunned by how good this series was from top to bottom. No series in the past several years has had this strong an ensemble of actors. No series has had the razor-sharp wit, the piercing insight into human frailties and ego and power and so on. No series handled material that you think would make your eyes glaze glaze over with financial babble, but instead was not just merely engrossing, but compelling, but you felt emotionally invested through the trials and tribulations of the Roy family. And no series did such a wonderful and admirable job of waving away 
the concerns held by what I'm going to call the most simplistic-minded and basic of viewers, that, oh no, they're not likable, why would I want to watch them? I don't know, why would you want to watch any of Martin Scorsese's movies for that matter then? Because this show's main strength was its rich menageries of beastly characters, and how, despite that dubious likability factor, we could still be moved by them, we could still even care about them. I could say so, so much more, like how Succession might have had one of the best final three episodes of any series since at least Breaking Bad. But, as we said before, we covered the series in several pretty, pretty, pretty good podcasts. Plus, looking at the time, it might be time to try to start getting to the closing you know, segments of this podcast. But let's face it, no series stuck their landing for a final episode better this past year than Succession did. I don't care if it was a drama or a comedy or one of these, I don't really know what it is, but it's beautiful kind of shows like the ones you guys have been talking about, um, which also had one of the best final episodes. But good Lord, Succession brought that plane in. Mary Lou Retton would have been proud about that landing. It was so good. So that covers our top 20 TV series for 2023. And usually when we're at this point in the podcast of this nature, we say, hey, anything coming up in 2024? Hey, you know what? There is a lot of stuff coming up in 2024. I got a few things right here. Uh, I'd like to hear you guys' reactions to a few of them. See if you're looking forward to them as well. And you might have some things in your mind that I haven't thought of. Very possible, because I left out a lot of stuff because I didn't want to. I didn't want to read a list of like eighteen thousand different things. Right around the corner, we've got True Detective Night Country coming up on HBO, January fourteenth. All I gotta say, Jodie Foster, Kaylee Rice, John Hawks. Remember John Hawks? Love John Hawks. It's a murder mystery in Alaska. I don't need to know anything else. That's it. You got me. You got me. I'm watching. But never mind that. Because everyone knows. They, they've been promoting the fuck out of this for like six, seven, eight, ten, whatever months. We thought this was going to be coming out last year, but I think the writer strike and everything else kind of uh, pushed it into January. But that very same night, January 14th, something else is coming out that I didn't know about until yesterday. On January 14th on AMC, there's going to be a show called Monsieur Spade. As in Sam Spade. Who created the show, you might ask? Because that's always important to know when you don't know what a show is. I'm going to tell you who created the show. Two dudes, Scott Frank and Tom Fontana. You know who Scott Frank is? He's the guy who wrote the script for Logan, Out of Sight, Get Shorty. Oh, what about TV? Godless, The Queen's Gambit. Tom Fontana, you know what he did? He was the main creative force behind Oz, Homicide. Holy cow. But you're like, wait, Sam Spade, what is it? Oh, you know Sam Spade? It's Clive Owen is Sam Spade, an older version of the most iconic detective of all time, living in France in the early 1960s. Holy cow. I got to tell you, if not for the fact that I have such a problem pronouncing the, the word monsieur, I would strongly consider podcasting about that. Maybe we do 
both the detective shows that are both going to be on Sunday nights. <laughs> Why not? Make, make, just make, make the D and STVD stand for detective. Actually, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. Anyway, I just found out about this. I am super excited about it. Later in the month, this is a show that we talked about a year ago because we thought it was coming out in 2023. Again, Rider Strike, etc. Masters of the Air. It's going to be on Apple TV. What is it? It's from the folks who brought us Band of Brothers in the Pacific. It's a massive cast. Too many names to name. Like I said, w- folks who are fans of Band of Brothers in the Pacific, we've been waiting for this for a while. Now we're finally going to get it. Hey, look, it's that Elvis kid. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> it looks like it's going to be something. Now, here's one. I don't remember if this is the show that Jamie might have posted about on the STVD page or on Facebook. By the way, find us on Facebook, a serious TV drama podcast. Or or maybe it was just another series entirely. But there's something coming on up on Apple TV on February 21st called Constellation. It's a psychological thriller series. Wait, who's one of the main stars? Jonathan Banks. Okay, I'm in. That's a, that's a, I don't I don't want to know anything more about it. That's all I need to know. Don't tell me anything that might make me like it less. That's all I need to know. Now, if there was one show that's going to be a new show, that's coming on. And I love that they're releasing it on February 29th. It's like, oh, of course you picked February 29th for this show. And it's oh my god, I'm actually going to watch a show on like regular TV. That never happens. But I will now, because it's going to be on CBS. Or maybe I'll wait. Maybe it'll be on Paramount Plus the next day. I don't know how they do those goddamn things. Elsbeth. Carrie Preston returns as everyone's favorite lawyer from both The Good Wife and The Good Fight. She gets her own series. I just finished watching her on The Holdovers. Like, oh, look, I love Carrie Preston. I can't wait for Elsbeth. And at some point later in the year, they're going to start filming Community the movie. And then we've got things like Dead Boy Detectives, a DC spinoff that was originally from the Doom Patrol TV series. But now it's been said by Neil Gaiman himself, it's going to be part of the Sandman universe, which kind of makes sense because now the show is going to be on Netflix instead of Max. So, okay, whatever. You know, thanks, James Gunn. I don't know. Unlike the Penguin series, which will show up at some point this year, that will be on Max. If I want, Just to get rid of all the other superhero crap, we've got a couple Marvel entries. Echo is about to be released in the next uh, week or so. The Agatha series we've been waiting for, that's going to be later in the year, as will the new Daredevil series. But if you want to get geeky, the thing that I'd be looking forward to more than any of those, well, maybe the Penguin. Actually, I am looking forward to the Penguin series. A long, 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 long awaited Batman animated series is finally going to show up on Amazon Prime this year. It's called Batman Cape Crusader. It's done by the combined forces of Bruce Timm, the guy who was behind the legendary Batman animated series from the 90s, some guy named J.J. Abrams, I don't know who he is, and the current Bat director, Matt Reeves. That trio is behind this. Okay, that's all I need. I'm excited. Beyond that, we've got all the shows that are returning. Um, many of them are for their final seasons. You got your Handmaid's Tale. You got your Kirby Enthusiasm. Ooh, Big Mouth and or Superman and Lois. The Umbrella Academy, finally. Uh, Cobra Kai. And hopefully, because I didn't even see it on the list, but it's got to be. Hopefully, finally, The Boys as well. Uh, if there's, I probably should have paused and let you guys react. I didn't, I'm sorry. I just kept going there, but, um, anything kind of, Piquing your interest, or is there anything I left? I mean, I know I left out things, but I figured in case you 
had any ideas, anything you wanted to bring up? I'm looking forward to uh, Manhunt on Apple Plus about the hunt for John Wilkes Booth. And yes. uh, I didn't know the star was going to be Tobias Menzies, but, you know, to go back to the glory days of the crown, <laughs> um, you know, when it, when it was really good. Um, and uh, I'm, I'll be curious. I want to wait and see uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm only interested in that because Donald Glover is the creator to see what direction he takes that. And the final one I'm really interested in because Walton Goggins is involved. I'm interested to see how they're going to do Fallout, um, which is, you know, based on a really popular video game set in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, but I didn't know yeah. Walton Goggins was attached as Ghoul, who's one of the. So I, I'll be curious. It, it, I'm sure it's it's the people behind Westworld. I'm sure it'll look good. The question is, will the story be good? Uh, you know, so those are the three things that I'm sort of curious about going into 2024. Yeah, I'm mostly really just honing in on hopefully seeing the boys this year. Hopefully. Um, also, uh, The Regime, there's a limited series coming out starring Kate Winslet, and that looks really good. So. Everything else, pretty much down the line of most of what you mentioned, Scott, um, just a lot of returns on series that I love and jumping into the, their next season. Excellent. Um, oh, now I can say it. So, so Jamie, shocked. If, if I was going to bet that one of us was going to be putting a reality series on <laughs> their top 20 list, my money would not have been on Brian. Yeah, I am I shocked. It was it was quite a shock, right? Yeah, but um, no, 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 no. Let me finish. I'm not finished. Okay. Between right. between beyond your whatever whatever crimes against nature you perpetrated between 2011, how did you how did you not put Australian Survivor in? How did you not put that one in? I was I was waiting for you to do it. I was all ready to go. I was all, I I was ready to hit the. I was like. I was going to do all cheering for you, and you didn't do deal. it. You didn't do it. Here's the deal. I had a. I maybe I should have reached out to you a little bit more about it, but I had a huge debate about this in my head or not because I really wanted to try to keep it to something where I knew it was. Yes, there is somewhat written storyline in these shows because they take what's there and they have to create a story with it. There's editing, it's storytelling. Um, but I, I really just wanted to stick to the the purity of writing a script and creating a story and have pre-written dialogue and because my mind went there but you know how much reality competition shows i have watched this year i knew if i even started to unravel that train of thought could have but i know but you could add king george in your tv characters a year you i was i was, I was so looking forward right. to you doing that You're i suppose right. i should i should you know, just asked me i would i would i would, I would have said fine it's not like the old days where, like, oh, no comedies. We have to do separate lists. Honorable mention. Know? Honorable mention. Okay. King George and his dog, Doug. Oh, my gosh. All righty, then. Let me start the wrap-up, and then we'll probably chat a bit more right after that. So, actually, we will. I know we will. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, and <laughs> I don't know how you made it through it, you'll also enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page. Like I mentioned a few moments ago, look us up. Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Now, as far as the podcast itself, we're available on most podcast platforms. 
Look us up on podbean.com. You can access all 400 of our episodes. Hey, go to some, listen to some of the old ones. Like, oh, wow, that's really weird. But if you happen to use Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate and review us there. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at Serious TV Drama, is one word, or on X Twitter at STVD Podcast, SSTVD as in Serious TV Drama. Uh, I should also self promote a little bit as well, which is what I'm doing here anyway. Um, Check out my my other podcast, Scott Forgot the 80s. Everything I just said kind of applies to that. You can find Scott Forgot the 80s on podbean.com. It's it's available. I think it's actually available on more podcast platforms than STVD, except YouTube. YouTube, STVD does show up on all the fucking time. Um, Scott Forgot. Well, apparently Scott forgot to figure out how to get it on YouTube. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> There was no YouTube in the eighties. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. That's that. I was, I'm trying to be pure to the to the concept. <laughs> <laughs> so, podcasting future. The STVD podcast will be up and running with episode 401 in just a few days, where we will be covering the penultimate episode of Fargo season five. It might be just me and Brian, and and I'll hear about some message that someone piped in from afar, or maybe she'll join us. I don't know. I don't get messages for anything or pretty pictures. Fuck you. Anyway, at some point later this month, Jamie will actually uh, apparently join me on my other podcast, the one I just mentioned, Scott Forgot the 80s. We'll be discussing yet another 80s flick I never saw, I never had an interest in seeing, Flight of the Navigator. So if I hate it, I can blame her like the changeling. Um <laughs> And uh, the first time to get to promote this, I actually just recorded a guest appearance on Mike Moody's new podcast, Intergalactic, where the idea is Mike and his co-host review Essential Sci-Fi. Uh, we had a really fantastic conversation about the 1995 film 12 Monkeys, and I am likely to return a few more times in the upcoming months to discuss some other truly iconic sci-fi movies with him. So keep an eye out for links for that one later this week. I'll put them on the Facebook and then tweet them out as well. All right. Um this would be the part where I will go to the two of you and ask if, if you guys have any last words for the podcast, because I have my own spiel prepared for the end of it here. Um, I, I do. If I can jump in, I yeah. would just like to say I have I have some words. I have some words here. Um, guys, uh, especially Scott, uh, we have podcasts together through road trips and cicada swarms and pandemics and tornado warnings. Uh, we have re-podcasted a cast that went mute. Uh, we've podcasted through thick and thin and ups and downs and hell once. I even podcast with you from the bottom of a well. <laughs> I, I have filled up so many notebooks with so many notes trying so hard to best meet your words. And to try to seek Brian's insight and to outwit Dan. Uh, it's been a blast 99% of the time. Thanks for holding the door open for me so I could blindly march in and through and create this whole new way for uh, my heart to be creative and talk about what I love. So congrats on your 400, Scott. Job well done. You know, Jamie. Um... Uh, I don't think you need my insight as much as you think you do. Um, you're pretty insightful and the, the intellect of Scott and the heart of Jamie 
and the courage of Brian or the perfect Wizard of Oz crew. <laughs> I even look like a lion. I even look like a lion. So, um, you know, I, uh, I I have enjoyed this. It's not often I sit down and think, man, I'd really like to talk for three hours about something or three and a half hours. But with you two, it's never uh, it's never laborious. It's never boring. It's always exciting. And I'm I'm always curious where I agree with you and where I disagree with you, uh, because there's some interesting triangulations in our positions. And uh, but this has been really fun. Uh, you, you two are true friends. And um, even though we mostly see each other across the screen, uh, 400 episodes of this podcast have been meaningful to me. And I know they've been meaningful to some other people. Um, and I appreciate the effort and the care and uh, that you put into it, Scott, to try to always be better. Uh, Jamie, I appreciate that you always try to bring your best version and the most heart to whatever you do. Um, you know, I have the technical master and the, the, the free loving artist heart and, uh, the two of you, uh, fill me with a desire to keep doing this. And, uh, I appreciate both of you and 400 episodes, man. Great job. Um, I'm unexpectedly moved by both of what you had to say. Um, I think one of the best decisions that we made on this podcast, uh, five plus years ago was, um, inviting both of you on it at, you know, a few months apart, but, uh, it was also a point of things were changing with the podcast where we were moving away from covering certain shows. That I think we had gotten a little weary of, we, we continued for a little while there, but you could tell it was starting to peter out and that might've also applied to some uh, Dan was involved as he could be, but, but not as much as he had been in the past. Um, but even though you're obviously you're both very different people, the the things that you had in common were the things that really helped to fuel the podcast and make it uh, a listenable, a, a worthy listening experience. Uh, your interest, your enthusiasm, you were engaged. Um, you're both extremely smart and articulate people, um, far better than I am quite often. I I believe. Um, and unlike myself, you both do an excellent job of being able to put your ego aside, <laughs> especially when you're dealing with someone like me on the podcast. Um, I know I can be a handful, um, ask any of my, uh, handful of friends. <laughs> but, um, the fact that you guys have maintained, uh, being connected to this podcast and whether you've been a regular contributor or there's been periods where you haven't been here, but I always know you're going to return. Um, it's made my decision to keep doing the podcast feel like the right one. Cause I, there were several times I was choosing to, I was going to end the podcast. I was waiting for, you know, at a certain point, I was like, okay, when this show ends, we're, we're going to stop doing it. Okay, when this show ends, like, okay, 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 Better Call Saul is over. We don't need to be doing it. It's like, oh, they're going to do the season of Fargo? All right. <laughs> and like right now, 
technically we're in the clear, you know, except for like two more Fargo episodes. But then that means I can't end on 402. That doesn't make any sense. They're like, oh, and then the little voice was like, you love the number five. What about 500? I was like, yeah, you know, that, 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 that might work. That could work. But it all comes down to we don't get paid for this. It's not, it's not monetized. I have friends who have asked me about that. I've looked into it. At most, it would be pennies, not even dollars. It would be pennies. We just, and it's, it, we're too far down the road to suddenly be able to, to, to flip a switch on it. It would have to be an entirely new enterprise to really start fresh, you know, and it's just the way it is. Because if once people go on that podbean.com and they said, Oh, let me check out these older ones. And you're like, Oh my God, what is this crap? I can't even. What, is he is he is he using like a cardboard tube for his microphone? I don't understand. You know, that's one of the not to mention all the uh, copyright issues. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me to how I want to close the podcast. Now, I had mentioned at the very start of this podcast, I went back and I listened to the first mm, 15, 20 minutes of our very first podcast. Um, I also found some raw files on my desktop that date back at least 10, 12 years. And I found a few back in the very beginning, before me and Dan recorded our very first podcast. Dan was trying to put together some insane mashup medleys of, you know, different TV series themes and clips and so on. Um, he eventually, I don't know how many podcasts, and he eventually redid it um, with more uh, actual voice clips and it got it un, uh, somewhat under a minute, you know, using clips of dialogue from everything from Mad Men to The Shield and so on. But when we first did it, and <laughs> it's just insane when I think about it now, damn thing ran almost two minutes long. And when you start a podcast with a with an overture that goes on for like two minutes, <laughs> that's some fucking balls. <laughs> I remember people even critiquing. I remember certain people even critiquing us, and I got really annoyed about it. And but in retrospect, I was like, "Yeah, that is kind of <laughs> that." You know, this ain't the beginning of Superman the movie, man. <laughs> you know, and there's no visuals involved, but. I, I did kind of always appreciate the, the, the amount of work that Dan had put into those things. And I dug up one of those files. I even tried to clean it up in, um, in one of the apps I use for the, for the podcast now to try to improve the sound. Um, except the bit rate's way too low. So there wasn't really much I could do it, but it's still pretty, you know what? It's still, it, it's still listenable. Now I've listened to it a few times. And I personally can pick out at least 14 different TV series. I suspect there's one or two I'm missing. So I'm going to end the podcast with it. And I'll advise everyone or, you know, hey, listen closely. See how many you can identify. I I, I made my little list here. Here's my 14. Um, there's no money involved. So hopefully YouTube won't go after me too badly for the copyright issues. Although I'm waiting to see. Bam, 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 bam. Oh no, that means I can't make money off it. Well, we never did. But again, I, I am thrilled that we were able to have this. I'm so glad we had this time together. <laughs> Come on, you want to do the whole thing? No, I'm not gonna. 
Of course, I just, am, am I, I, the fact that you both got the joke is good because I'm about to say, did I just reveal just how old I am by, <laughs> is that a Carol Burnett show reference I just made? Is that what that was from? I'm so glad we had this time together. All right. So, uh, in traditional fashion, I'm going to say good, good night to Jamie and good night to Brian. And you guys can make your good nights now. So. Good night, everybody. Good night, Moon. Good night, Scott. Good night, Jamie. See you, listeners. And I will end our 400th podcast with how our very first one began. Thanks for listening and enjoy. fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity Voyages of the Starship Enterprise.